It's a miracle that movie's PG-13. Yeah, exactly. Because I got to see it. It's not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Boy, howdy. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Sheriff. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Yes. Hello, yes. And today we're going to go and do another mailbag. Mailbag in it. Do we, we have uh, sound effects for that? Sure, man. I want the mail. <laughs> <laughs> You've got mail. We get tons of questions on Facebook, SoundCloud uh reddit uh email mm-hmm. uh tons and it and you know sometimes it feels pretty bad that we can't get to all of them yeah so we do like you know our three or four or whatever at the end of every podcast and everything we're not answering everything mm-hmm. i mean um so it's it's good once in a while to sort of I guess do a purge of the yeah, mailbag baby. or whatever and ask a whole bunch and try to get a bunch of these questions answered and again, sorry if we don't get to your question today. There's a lot of great ones. <laughs> yeah. And we sometimes just don't get to even some great ones. There's some so. poor bastard yeah. who's going to listen to this whole thing. Like, finally, they're going to answer my question. Mm-hmm. And then when we don't, he's going to be like, <laughs> they know, just hate me, like, don't they? <laughs> they just hate me. We have a good representative sample. The people that uh, write in questions a lot, we tend to get to sometimes multiple times. Yeah, we try to get, you know, the the international ones are really fun too because mm-hmm. it kind of gets a different perspective. Definitely tell us where you're from if you if you're outside the US or even if you're in the US. You know, try not to do one from the same person all the time. So we mm-hmm. get we get a good variety. And there's some excellent questions out there. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to try to yeah. answer a bunch of them today for the entire episode. So uh, let's uh, get on with it. Let's do it. Question. Question. I think we got a stack of mail out there at the desk that belongs to you. Now, you want that mail, don't you? I got something to say. I want the mail. (laughs) All right. One of my favorite sins you guys do is the movie wants me to be okay with this, and I am not okay with this sin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that, too. That's a Jeremy original right there. (laughs) That was the Bruce Willis one. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Um, I basically feel like the entire movie of Premium Rush is a movie a movie length of that sin. That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, other movies where cops end up in massive car accidents because of the actions of the daredevil protagonist and it's just shrugged off also kind of pissed me off. Mm-hmm. So my question is, what are the worst examples in movies of the aforementioned sin? Okay. Wow. So, so I've got I've got one written down here, but the one that he mentions in the question about the protagonist killing a whole bunch of people on the on the road and yeah. everything, no movie does this to the hilt better than Taken Three. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> the there's a okay. So Liam Neeson, who stupidly runs away from a crime scene, thinking that everybody's gonna think he killed his ex wife yeah. for some stupid reason. Uh, he's like, I know I'm innocent. I'm Harrison Ford. Goddamn it! <laughs> and so he runs away from the cops and all this other type of stuff. And then there's a one point where he gets in the car and he's driving down the road and like like causes so much chaos like kills probably 20 to 30 people on the road because he's innocent and he doesn't want to get caught by the cops and everything and by the end of it they're all like well you were innocent after all i guess we're gonna just totally forget Uh, about all those people you killed that we were trying to pull you in before um two things that every single defendant on every episode of matlock always did wrong 
and that was they touch the murder weapon at the yeah. scene that where they were not the murder, and then they flee the scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Every single episode, those two elements. My, I've watched a lot of Matlock because yeah. my dad loved that show. But you just reminded me of Matlock. <laughs> it's like the the ham handed thing in North by Northwest where like uh, Cary Grant goes to the United Nations and he's going to talk to that guy and and uh, and somebody throws a knife into the dude's back that yeah. he's talking to, and then he goes over and just like as the guy's falling, <laughs> yeah. grabs the knife yeah. and then pulls it out and as gra- it comes down it in a threatening <laughs> way. Too. And it's like, what are you doing, man? Even even in a crazy situation, I know not to touch the fucking knife. Well, isn't there that is a diehard, one of the later diehards where he's in Russia that he runs over like he's in like that big utility vehicle and he just smashes up all these cars. Oh yeah, right? and like everybody's dead, right? Oh yeah, for sure. That was a good day to die hard. Good day to die. You care hard. less about that though because they were Russian. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean that happens all the time. Yeah. Like these these people are killing people on the road. <laughs> uh, there's of course a lot of things we can get into about traffic in movies and how yes. stupid it is. But um, anyway, the one that I wrote down is uh, the supernatural sports movie. <laughs> so is we're this, talking, a, this is a genre. Basically. We're talking about like angels in the outfield, uh, the sixth man, flubber, yeah. these type of things. Almost every time. <laughs> casual observers see what's happening out on the field they're like huh that's really strange (laughs) or whoa so weird and all that and they don't ever think to themselves cheating (laughs) or fucking ghosts (laughs) let's see the ball corkscrew around several times before line driving to, to a home run and nobody goes Hmm, that defies the law of physics. <laughs> right. Like, there's, I'm there's still something, going to cheer. Bravo. There's something definitely not natural going on here, but that guy's a good player. So he maybe <laughs> yeah. he can just do uh, things that's, yeah. that I. That's always the. That's always the the main problem with those movies. We don't see them much anymore. It's like a, a, a almost '90s construct. Yeah, late and '80s into '90s. Uh, to to have. You know, something out of the ordinary happened like that, and people just going, "Whoa, that's just strange." Whoa, what happened there? That's Remember so the, uh, crazy. the sixth man with yeah, Kadeem Hardison, which I just mentioned. I mentioned that oh. in the <laughs> I mentioned that at the top. Damn it! Just <laughs> when I think I'm paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an Angels in the Outfield, six man, and and a flubber. Oh, okay. But like, yes, flubber. the sixth man is exactly like that. Yeah, he's actually a dead ghost, like. Stopping the ball in midair and tipping it into the bat. Like, there's all kinds of just rule-breaking yeah. shit. And the crowd's always just like, yeah, I'm <laughs> winning. <laughs> it, it, we, we saw, we went to an Angels game when we were out in Anaheim. And we saw this amazing Mike Trout play where he oh, yeah. came up and from mid-center field threw this guy out at home. Oh, so Maybe good. on one hop. It, it may have just was gone ridiculous. And we were in absolute shock yeah. that that was something that could be done. And that was a human play. Yeah. yeah. Imagine <laughs> well, if, if he had like jumped sixty feet in the air yeah. and done that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, right? If he had jumped sixty feet and did the Daryl Strawberry in the Simpsons. Well, <laughs> yes. Even Teen Wolf. 
like always oh, bothered me. Oh my god! Yes, because a yeah no again no one thinks cheating because yeah, right. you can jump three times as tall. <laughs> yeah. But also if if ever there was a movie where we needed like the shady ET government dudes to come into town and like cause a subplot, it's fucking Teen Wolf. Yeah. yeah. But instead the town's just like we're cool. Yeah. We'll just call him Wolfie. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Exactly. Whatever Whoa. reason, Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> no one's gonna... gonna call the cops or the government and the actual Area 51. genetic wolf playing out of the fucking court. <laughs> and somebody wants to. Fuck it, too. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. know. Girl, he wants to be in a play. They want to cast this guy as like the Confederate general or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then oh, fucking, what's her name? Pamela wants to fuck him yeah. as the wolf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. The movie's all kinds of fucked up. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Everybody should be like Clooney and From Dust Till Dawn in these movies. Like, it's like, I don't believe in ghosts, but what I just fucking saw was ghosts. <laughs> I believe my own two eyes right. and what I saw were fucking ghosts. <laughs> Exactly. Awesome. Uh, my mind immediately went to Daddy's home because we uh-huh. recently seen this movie, and from a moment about fifteen minutes in on, none of this should be happening. Yep. Mm-hmm. And basically, from the moment Mark Wahlberg is allowed to stay over and temporarily live in the house, and I'm like, game over. Yeah. You fucking lost me. I realize comedy puts characters in slightly extreme situations, but this was too extreme. <laughs> And everything you're trying to do from here on out with your comedy relies on this. Yep. That he's around for everything, allowing these two men to compete. There's a bunch wrong with this fucking With no movie. support from his wife, either. No, his well, that's wife, the problem, right? The The problem is the Linda Cardellini character. Is completely unbelievable. They, yeah, they just they, the, the decision as to whether he stays at the house or not. Yeah. Is, is totally on Will Ferrell. It's yeah. Like, well, if you want to do it, yeah. just go ahead. Like... <laughs> Uh, did you not, were you not married to this guy? Yeah. Isn't there a reason you're divorced now? Yeah. And, oh well, my God. this is the perfect example of how lazy this movie is. And I think we pointed out in the since video is when they're at the fertility doctor and Wahlberg takes out his dick and the Cardellini <laughs> character is like, Oh, yeah, right, and right. the scene was like, haven't you seen this thing at least twice? Yes, yeah, two yeah, kids. Two right. kids. What, and the movie doesn't even care about that. It just wants to make a giant dick joke yep. and has people react. Anyway, fuck right. that movie. The other one I wrote down was Lucy. Oh, which yeah. Which is a movie that begins with the concept of we only use 10% of our brains, which has long since been proven hogwash. Mm-hmm. Um and then just escalates the stupid from there. But right. I can't get on board with that m- movie from moment one. Yeah. And I don't really care if some of the action is cool or a couple of the performances are neat. I yeah. don't really care. No. And then when she turns into ether, I <laughs> yeah. get angry. Yeah. Like, right. I got angry when oh, I was watching Oh, it's so fucking stupid. And so, yeah, movie wants me to believe... Any of this is possible. <laughs> yeah. The movie can fuck itself. Not to mention it starts off with like an hour-long Morgan Freeman symposium yes, or something like that. Wasn't he on that podium like the entirety of the movie it, oh, until yeah. the I mean, very it, end? It felt like it. He, he's, he's, it's basically him talking and then like intercut with all this like Terrence Malick yeah. nature shit. Yeah. And then like uh, it, get, it gets done. I mean, seriously, it is something like 20 to 30 <laughs> minutes of the movie. He's in there. And then then he goes to his, his hotel or whatever. Right. And that's when she she by the time he gets to the hotel she's gotten to the powers enough to be able to like broadcast herself into right. the tv and everything uh, fuck that and everything movie. you know oh my god and that movie ha- has a following 
Yeah, it it made over, when, when the made over hundred million, and God. and yeah, when now anytime Luke Besson comes out with a new movie, it's like director of Lucy, and you're like, oh, of all the shit that he's done, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is what you're tying your shit to. That's not that's not good. No, but they're gonna make another one too. Are they really? He's not gonna direct it. I don't think. It'll probably be that other guy they get when they can't get Luke Besson that yeah. uh, was the dude, dude that does like the transporters and all that. It's going to be oh, one yeah. of the, It's going to be that dude. He's Luke Besson's uh, Henry Selnick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much that guy. They're going to call it like Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Betty. Or Peppermint Patty. Peppermint Patty. Yes. Peppermint Patty. Nice. Mm. Uh, so I've got two, both of which involve Vince Vaughn and a Wilson brother. And always, always bothers me. There's a lot about old school that bothers me. Uh, but there's one in particular. And then when I was watching Wedding Crashers the other day, something bothers me about that, too. So both of the, the main female characters, Ellen Pompeo in old school and then Rachel McAdams in Wedding Crashers, are these ethereal, wonderful women that are that are beyond reproach. They're they're fantastic. They're homey. They're they're funny and they're smart and all that stuff. But they are in a relationship with fucking assholes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So, yes, we all know. With like zero redeeming. Like, no. never once show niceness at all. No. Ever. I mean, we all know people that are in fucked up relationships. And, yes, you know, you can't. Maybe they've got a side. There's nothing with these mm -hmm. guys. It's fucking Craig Kilborn in old school. And Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper's even worse. We oh, see yeah. more of how awful he is. This is why I get these two movies confused sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's, of it's that, fucking that Luke Wilson dynamic. And, and Owen yeah, Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I just I can't get on board with the fact that it, and and there's no conflict in these relationships, by the way, they're set to be married. They're going to get, you know, they're together forever until a Wilson brother shows up and charms the pants off of them, apparently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, and even when somebody like proves that he, you know, in old school, he, he's in a frat and he does all these terrible things. Alan Pompeo is like, oh, I'm not going to fuck with that guy anymore. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. Like, what? Yeah, Kilborn's that much better. Mm -hmm. And then in Wedding Crashers, you, you know, arguably he does have, you know, a, a terrible backstory. But like she fucking cuts him off immediately until yeah. he shows up at the end. Oh yeah. yeah. So I am not all right with that. I agree. These, yeah. these women are too smart to be with these fucking, fucking, fucking assholes. Well, yeah. and that's the one thing that bothers me about Tin Cup mm. is that Rene Russo's yeah. character would be with Don Johnson's yeah. character that long. And like, there's two moments in, in the movie where somebody tries to tell her, you know, he hates old people and dogs, <laughs> <laughs> both times. And then at the end of the movie, he yells at some old people and fans, and I think they even says something nasty about a dog. But she stays with him for way too long. She would should have seen something that yeah. showed his asshole tendencies somewhere along the line. Although I I do think that. It with Don Johnson's character, you could maybe see a little bit like maybe, maybe when they're alone or whatever yeah. that, whereas in these other instances, I don't see a 51st. No, is it 51st? Days? No, it's wedding, wedding, it's a wedding singer, oh, a wedding yeah, yeah, singer yeah, yeah. that has that same dynamic with Drew Barrymore's character. Right. Like the dude that she's with, like, first off, they would, I don't think they would ever be together. Like there's just no match whatsoever, but but like he's the same sort of deal. Like everything he does is like you know, he buys that 
uh, what is he? He buys a CD player for like five hundred dollars yeah. or something like that in the eighties or whatever. And he's like, he's like, uh, and and she's like, oh, we're gonna play some records. It's like he's like, you don't play records on this, hon. It's a CD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, and he's just a dick the, yeah. uh, the whole time. You're like, wh- I would like to know how uh, how they did get together. It had to have been some sort of niceness. At I the don't beginning. know. I mean, you can you can make a character a little bit more sympathetic and still have the comedy there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have Bradley Cooper be a full-on asshole right. like, it makes you feel better i guess i got another one owen oh, yeah. wilson and cable guy right. <laughs> <laughs> that date should be over yeah. in 20 seconds easily what's up Attitude, with my chicken man? man did you have to did you have to kill it out back or like, <laughs> what does he say like, is, oh uh it's like, well, could you get could you get on it right away, compadre? Yeah, <laughs> me and my date are really hungry. Some crap like that. <laughs> He's just an asshole from moment one. She should not even stay on that date. <laughs> I mean, he gets his ass kicked and he gets his comeuppance very yes. sh- very shortly. But that's uh, that's the the problem with uh, what you're what you're talking about. There is is sort of an essential problem with movies is that the main character has to be the good character has to be the choice. Yep. Yeah. And the other character has to have like an irredeemable flaw to them so that it's easier for them to break off this relationship and go with somebody else by the end of it. Yeah. And fucking comes off so phony. It does. Because you can do you can make that person somewhat nice, but then like. Find some other reason that they don't need to be together. <laughs> it's you know? in old school. Craig Kilborn, his only scene is when he's hitting on that fucking waitress. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and then Luke Wilson coming. We're not knocking now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you can't tell, right? Yeah. It's guy code. Yeah, it's something that chicks do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I really like this one. I put a lot of thought into it. Oh. Hearing you guys talk about sanitized PG-13 movies got me thinking, what are some of your favorite PG-13 movies? This person has a great example. He goes to Dunkirk because he thinks that's a great example of a movie that doesn't need R-rated content to hold the viewer's attention. Uh, the bonus question, sub-question, uh, that may have been asked already, what are some PG-13 movies that you'd like to see get an R rating? Mm. Oh. Or go into that territory? I love this. obviously a lot of great PG-13 movies, but... I, I don't know if I can get something completely within this category, like, like oh that needed to be R mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, I, I I mean I guess the ones that I'm picking don't need to be R. Um, uh, Inception I think is a really good PG-13 movie. Oh like, yeah, good it's call. It's got a lot of like real dark themes in it. I mean that Cobb character DiCaprio yeah. plays is going through some shit, man. Yeah, and it's got a lot of gunplay. It does, and they and and they soften they soften that a little bit by like making these projections like things you don't care about right. whatsoever, which is also a flaw of the movie. So yeah. it's kind of a weird thing. But um but uh but yeah, he's going through a lot of stuff and that stuff with Mal and everything is just it's really adds a lot of darkness to a movie that's just a high concept fun action movie. Mm-hmm. And um but uh I think I think it does pretty well. I don't think they were ever going to I don't think there's an R-rated version out there. No, really. I mean, what, what would you do? You would have more blood, I guess, and mm. and some profanity. But no, that that's in a, a perfect niche. Doesn't right need there. to be there. The other one I came up with was Quiz Show. Oh, um, I think there might be one fuck 
said in quiz show and i think he, i think it's when john Turturro calls charles van doran charles van fucking doran yeah <laughs> yeah you're right and uh and then uh it, it it obviously doesn't need a lot the hank azaria character does his best to try to make that r-rated with constantly yeah. doing mimicking hand jobs yeah. and stuff like that <laughs> um but uh you know you didn't need rob morrow and and uh and ray fines in there going fuck you man <laughs> fuck this fuck that yeah. you know which is probably what they were probably doing yeah. in real life because this is everybody's life on the line here you know um you're a public figure and you're getting taken down but uh those are two really good pg-13 movies yeah. i'd say um the movies that should be are we mentioned this i think the last podcast but happy death day and everything yeah really almost any horror movie shouldn't be pg-13 no it's so no. It, it, there's something about every single one of those pg-13 movies that smell of let's get the kids in the theater yeah Every single one of them is like that. And so when you watch a PG-13 horror movie, it's almost what's the point. Now, I really liked Happy Death yeah, Day. Yeah, me too. But you're right about how it's just kind of like held back a All little bit. All of those bit. themes are, are screaming our rating. I mean, mm. it, they do what they want. That's fine. Again, it's, a, it's an interesting movie. But her behavior, like the way that she gets around, the stuff that she does, the fact that, and, you know, we're not, you know, lauding, hey, you got to show boobs or whatever. Right, right. But the fact that she walks through the, the quad naked, yeah. but it can't be shown, right. it's just like, the, it, it's exactly, what's the fucking point? Yeah, it's just, it doesn't, I mean, it's, yeah, why do you even have that scene at that right. point? Like, oh, he, she's naked? Well, I, it's like I, you're watching network TV. I mean, she might as well be in a bikini. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Um, there was a couple others that uh, I thought of. Like I thought, Last, Last Action Hero could have benefited from being R-rated. Oh, and I know that, there that was, would be interesting. I know that there was a joke in there that, where they're like, you know, he shows him the card that says "fuck" on it or whatever, and tells him to say it, and he says, "I can't say it" and whatever. Yeah. And he's like, "I know because this movie's PG-13." Okay, that's your one joke that you have for it being PG-13. There's really no other reason to make yeah, this PG-13. Right. Um, so, so I, I felt like that could have benefited a little bit it could have been a little bit harder edged and everything i think it would have saved that movie a little bit too because i think a lot of people thought this was watered down arnold schwarzenegger yeah. because everything he had done up at that point had been hard r well, i was gonna say the movie's even aping r-rated movies yeah but because itself it's not r it takes some of the sting out yeah it really does and i think people were like i don't want to see an arnold schwarzenegger movie that's pg-13 yeah. and sanitized for the masses and everything this just not doesn't make any sense and um one other one, I don't think it might have really would have saved it, but Live Free or Die Hard was a PG-13 movie. What the and fuck so was that one, all about? One chapter in that franchise that decided to be PG-13, no no more evidence of a, uh, you know, wanting to get more audience in somehow, even though the <laughs> franchise did very well being R-rated, yep. than this one. And, uh, there's a, and there's just a... And, I looked at the IMDb rating. It's got a 7.2. I think people what? love this Live Free or Die Hard. I don't understand. I hated it. Yeah. I, I absolutely hated it. I didn't hate it as much as A Good Day to Die Hard. But um, there's a scene in there where Bruce Willis is going to say his catchphrase, yippee ki motherfucker, and they have to, like, censor it. Yep. And it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, if, if, if the whole reason you're here to see Live Free or Die Hard... You're probably old enough to, you know, to hear a motherfucker. Yeah. You know? So I don't understand what this whole thing was. Well, with a new. I guess they were trying to get new people in on Die Hard. They I were, don't know. I think they were trying, trying to get a new audience. Uh, it had been long enough since with a vengeance. Yeah. That it had been like 12 years. I think they were afraid 
the franchise didn't have the pull that it did. Um, and so they made it PG-13. They got some hot young stars in there. Is that the one with Timothy Oliphant? Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Justin Long. Yeah, Kevin Smith. Uh, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith. <laughs> that really attractive woman whose name escapes me, who kicks ass. I don't know. I haven't seen it's it It's like Timothy Oliphant's like right-hand yeah, yeah. woman. Oh, you know it's uh, is it Maggie Q? Oh, yeah, it is. I think it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> I think is it's it your my turn. turn? Yeah. Uh, well, The Martian is my PG-13 example that, that is a perfect rating. Yep. Um, and I, I've praised it before for how it sneaks so many F-bombs in there in unconventional ways to s- kind of skirt that unwritten rule or what have you. Um, but other than that, this movie doesn't need to be R-rated. Mm. There's nothing that, I mean... You want him to make dick jokes now? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and he actually does make a have sex with yourselves yeah. joke yeah, yeah, in the yeah. book. I'm pretty sure it's fuck your mothers. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> you know, other than language, there's no reason for a movie like this to be rated R, and it benefits by again, this is a, an, an instance where PG-13 opening it up to a wider audience is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still a movie that has, I think, in many instances, R-rated like consequences or themes that the the actor is facing, not the actor, the character is facing. Um, So that's my example of a good PG-13. And you have that great joke too, after he goes through that whole thing where he like basically writes a bunch of F-bombs into a whole thing. The guy's like, F-bomb in Jaren form? (laughs) (laughs) Goes through all the different parts of speech and crap. F-word again. (laughs) No, that's perfect because I showed that to my kid when he was seven, I think. And Mm. just because he's super into science. And he didn't really wasn't affected by the the language or anything like that. There's nothing salacious about it. It's a great story, and it's about science and stuff like that. It's perfect. Yeah, Good I point. think that, I mean that's my that's my example. Now a PG thirteen that I think could have stood to be R. I have two that I like. I am Legend. Uh huh. Uh huh. Now this was probably at a time, and maybe this is still the case. Probably a time where Will Smith maybe was shying away from R rated type content because he was a family star, what have you. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna take this role. Where you're going a little crazy, talking to mannequins, um, and it's got guns, it's got hordes of vampire things, in terms of violence, language, even themes, I think this movie could have easily gone R, mm-hmm. uh, and and been even more compelling. Now, granted, I may, I, I may be on an island, I really like this movie, mm. um, and I know maybe most people just think it's okay, mm. um, I like seeing... I guess I, I just really like movies that take their time with long lack of dialogue. Oh, yeah, me too. That first hour just watching what his life is like in New York with that dog, I think it's pretty freaking awesome. Uh, but again, I think there's stuff that we could have seen that, that in an R rating that would have made the movie more visceral. Still needs better CG, so yes, maybe the does. rating won't help. <laughs> yeah. My other one was um, Chronicle. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Be- now... I get that it was a superhero movie about high school kids, so probably never had a shot to be rated R, even though horror movies about high school kids are rated R all the mm-hmm. time. But this movie goes, or tries to go, to some dark places with mm-hmm. the Dean DeHane character. Yeah. And if you were allowed to be R-rated... By the way, it's Dane DeHaan, just to... Dean, Dane DeHaan? Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. <laughs> Dane DeHaan. It's Dane DeHaan? Yes, D-A-N-E. I thought it was Dean DeHaan. D-A-N-E. Interesting. 
I've learned something. <laughs> um, barbecue sucks. <laughs> anyway, I think if you just let them be what real high schoolers in that situation would be in terms of language, hey, let, how do my superpowers affect my sex life, yeah. so on and so forth, and then you can let this character who's in a dark place and is going to get darker go a little further, and I think Chronicle's pretty good. So mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying it suffered from being PG-13, but I think it could have been a little better. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at the, you mentioned it, some of our favorite high school movies benefit by being R-rated. Mm-hmm. You know, something like uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High yep. and, and things like that. There's a couple of exceptions like Easy A or, uh, or Clueless or something like that. But, you know, most of the time, if you have American Pie or something like that where you got kids talking the way that they're, they usually talk and doing body things, things like that, it's more enjoyable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. We like sex. We Americans. We love it. We like the sex. Uh, Not like I do. (laughs) Not like I do. (laughs) The perfect PG-13 movie for me is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And the reason why is that it has violent, it has the, the hallmarks of, you know, what, what would be, you know, adult content. It's got, it's got some sex in it. It's got some violence in it. It's got some cursing in it. But Indiana Jones as a character is just on this side of cartoony. That if you went down that like gritty realistic type of type of route, I think it would suffer for it. Mm. You want to keep it to where it's it's exhilarating. It's it's uh, it, it it is a little bit cartoony. It is a little fantastical, even though it's based on realistic stuff. So that to me is is the perfect example. Now it's interesting because Temple of Doom was the first one to have a PG thirteen rating, right? I think so. That's one of those. That's one of those. Um when did it come in type of things yeah. that i always hear different things about like one i thought it was poltergeist oh. i thought poltergeist was the one but i've also heard temple of doom was the one of the reasons for this to pg-13 rating to be made and, oh, and, and who knows there could be some other ones in there too that mm. that set that rating and i remember i remember nc-17 being henry and june that was the oh, first yeah. one that that started that all up but have you ever uh, seen Henry and June? I have. Is it worth an NC-17 rating? No. Not really? No. It's pretty tame. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, showgirls, you understand, I guess, you know? I mean, I think we all probably had that phase in our lives where we were trying to rent movies like that without making eye contact with the <laughs> video store clerk. I'm going to look this up for posterity here so that we can have this on the record. In the early 80s, complaints about violence and gore in films such as Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Gremlins, both of which received PG ratings, refocused attention on films seen by small children and preteens. According to author Philippa Antunis, this this revealed the conundrum of a film which could not be recommended for all children but could not be repudiated for all children uniformly. leading to speculation that the rating system scope in particular its PG classification no longer matched a notion of childhood most parents in America could agree on. Steven Spielberg, director of Temple of Doom and executive producer of Gremlins, suggested a new intermediate rating between PG and R. The PG-13 rating was introduced July 1st, 1984. The first film to be released with this rating was 1984, John Milius war film Red Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) So Temple of Doom played a role in it, but it was rated PG. That is correct. Which is it's it's definitely the most violent of of that trilogy that i don't think you can do brain eating anymore and still be pg 
Or reaching into a, pulling out a still beating heart. <laughs> yes. That fucked me up when I was a kid, man. Uh, the brain eating is. Of course, now me. that was from Wikipedia. That oh, could be yep. that could be John Millius Citation getting in there and saying <laughs> me like, you know, I had the first PG thirteen movie. God damn it! He definitely talks like he that. Does, he, he does. He does talk like that. You sound uh, exactly like it. I know. the uh, the PG thirteen movie that I think would benefit from an R is another surprising pick maybe for me. It's Suicide Squad. Mm. Um, there is no fucking reason for Suicide Squad to be PG thirteen. Oh yeah, that that's the most one of the most recent examples. Yeah. I, I mean, mean it's, it's not going to save it for sure. No, but if I'm going to be stuck in watching this horrific morass of Suicide Squad, go all the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if that's a Will Smith thing too, but like, fucking go out there, man, and make this like know, remember, really body. I remember seeing trailers for this thinking that's what they were going to do right like i i didn't think there was even any question that this was going to be an r-rated movie mm-hmm. and so i was just shocked when i finally saw ratings on it it's like they, they just decide not to like i really thought they planned to make that r-rated yeah. and then at the last minute no they always thought wanted yeah. to make that pg-13 yeah. yeah i mean i know that there was a groundswell for a second about like oh we need to make you know especially after deadpool we need to make these uh superhero movies r-rated and everything Batman v Superman is not going to be better if it's R rated. Mm-hmm. It's going to be shitty regardless. Suicide Squad is the perfect opportunity to do this. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's I think I'll it's bullshit. What, have you heard about how they're Scorsese's developing, um, like a Joker origin film that no. will stand separate from the DCEU? Huh. You, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that one. It's pretty crazy, and he's actually I guess circling Leonardo DiCaprio to try and play him or what have you. And first of all. That's, this is a pretty unnecessary movie. Yes. Uh, I don't want to see the origins of the Joker because it's almost like the midichlorians and uh, <laughs> kyber crystals. Kyber crystals. Kyber crystals. Yes. You're robbing us of the mystery of the Joker. Uh, if you tell me how he became how he is, it's going to matter less to me. But it's gorgeous. And there's so mm-hmm. many origin stories that have, that are just considered the you know the standard yeah. like the, the killing joke of it. yeah the killing joke is the is the one that i think i guess most people consider the canon at this point and then you have you know tim burton coming in and doing the whole you know we've seen bruce's parents get killed a million times but like um but like you have um after that you know him getting involved at the axis chemical factory mm-hmm. and all that it's like uh so I mean it's I mean I guess the I guess the Axis Chemical Factory factors into both of those though, yeah. but it's not the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, because yeah, Jack Napier was just a gangster. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and um, and but it just happens at the end. By the end of it, they're at this chemical factory or whatever. Whereas in Killing Joke, he's sort of lured there. <laughs> We he's said like, that weird red helmet thing. Yeah, the red hood. Yeah, they're, they're, he's duped by right. The criminal guys. Anyway, my reason for bringing that up is a Scorsese Joker origin film better fucking be rated R. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes. And if it's not, I'm not even going to watch that shit. Yeah. No, you want to see some again, dark shit. Well, if, if any DC movie was going to need an R rating more than Suicide Squad, it's fucking that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've done this, I think, the other way around before, but this is a new way to look at it. What's a trailer so bad that you are shocked that the movie was good? You know, it, it took... I, I don't think I have a good answer for this, by the way, because mm-hmm. there were that I don't remember very many trailers where I was like, wow, what a shitty trailer. And then watched the movie and went, you know, oh, well, why was that trailer so shitty? Yeah. I don't have it. Have it I'll really need to think about it more because I've I went through a whole bunch of trailers in my head huh. and I was like, 
that was a good trailer for a bad movie. Right. Or that was a good trailer for a good movie. Or that was a bad trailer for a bad movie. Yeah, so it's, yeah, not, yeah, it's yeah. Not, not very many that were fitting into this. But one I remember just because Clueless had so much bad marketing for me uh, uh, yeah. as a as a I was 18 when that movie came out. Like I thought this was just all going to be nothing but vapid characters doing vapid things yep. and that was what the movie was the we had a standee that was in our in our lobby that was just all glitter and fucking you know like just all sorts of just oh shopping bags and all that and i was like who's gonna watch this movie and the trailer was like that yeah. the trailer was like a whole bunch of just like california schoolgirl isms mm -hmm. as if yeah. whatever yeah. and all this type of stuff going all the way through it and it really misses sort of the heart of that movie. When you start watching Clueless, you realize, oh, she's got a lot more going on, even though there's a facade going on here where she's like trying to be popular mm -hmm. and all this other type of stuff. There, you can see some heart there, even at the first 10 to 15 minutes and everything. Now, the trailer, I went, now that I know what that movie is, the trailer is a lot funnier because I know where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah because it's grounded now. Right. I had to literally be be told by my older cousin that this was a good movie. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to go see that. The same exact reaction that you had. Mm -hmm. And uh, my cousin was just like, no, man, like it's it's actually really good. And what mm -hmm. you see, man, oh, it's really good. Oh, yeah. I also struggle with this question. So I have a couple different types of answers. Uh, the Matrix is my answer, but I've told that story a couple different times mm -hmm. in the podcast uh, that the trailer, I was laughing at it, uh, and it's now my favorite movie of all time. Um, <clears throat> little did I know, because I don't think, I think the trailer w was showing off the action, and I couldn't get hooked on the action until the movie explained why they could run on walls mm. and dodge bullets and shit like so i just thought i was looking does it at really explain anything about the matrix in that trailer it's been no. a while since no I've seen in it. fact the whole does. whole the whole theme behind that trailer is nobody knows exactly what the matrix is yeah, yeah. you'll have to find out for yourself yeah. yeah what is it anyway uh so again i'm gonna name a few movies that i don't think have bad trailers mm -hmm. but when i saw the trailer i didn't care about watching it and then later when i watched a movie I loved it. The first one is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, mm -hmm. nice yeah, one. Part of the reason was, oh, Planet of the Apes reboot. Mm -hmm. I remember when this happened before, and it was very disappointing. <laughs> right? Oh, and yeah. there's James Franco, who at this point in my life, I was not sold on any of him being quality. And so I just stayed away, stayed away, stayed away. Yeah. Eventually, Chris beat me over the head with a DVD and said, watch this fucking movie. And I did, and it was awesome. Um, uh, same thing with X-Men First Class, because ah. it felt to me like... Uh, Another reboot, a cheap ploy. Let's recast younger and go back, and then now we've got it. We can do it well. Exactly what they've done. We can tell the story every decade or what have you. Yeah. Um, and I just was unmoved by all of that. I guess I had had my fill after X Men Last Stand. That was last, yeah, Last Stand, and then the Wolverine movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, at least and, one of them, maybe yeah. both of them. And so mm -hmm. I just was unmoved. And again, Chris was like, "Hey, you got to watch this movie. It's fucking awesome." And you know, I love First Class. Yeah. Anyway, so those are, those are my answers. I don't think those two had bad trailers. But no. I was unmoved by them. Mm. They're, they're, they didn't promise much. No, I agree with that. Mm. Man, I got an old one that stuck in my memory because I saw it so often. There was this marketing ploy for uh, 1987's Moonstruck mm. that it was everywhere, especially primetime TV. Just every commercial seemed like it was this. And the movie's fantastic. It was nominated mm -hmm. for Academy Award. Cher actually won yep. for her performance there. But this trailer is just 
almost incomprehensible. It's just it's edited all to hell. It's Cher and then Danny Aiello and then you got Nicolas Cage coming in. And there's this thing that they played on repeat that was just like Nicolas Cage is like, I love you. And Cher smacks him. She's like, snap out yeah, of it. I remember that. And I'm like, God damn it. Uh, so I went back to, to confirm that it's a shitty trailer and it is a pretty shitty trailer, but it's an awesome movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, yeah. it's something that we we haven't they, really brought up. I don't but think. But you're right about that smack over the head thing. I must have seen that a thousand times. Yeah. Yeah. That well, movie was everywhere. Yeah. When it came, like it was getting all the commercials and all the buzz and all the trailers and uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you, okay. you did you not like it? I like it. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's I need to watch good. it now that I'm older and appreciate film more because I think I watched it. I don't know, somewhere in my late teens, early twenties, mm-hmm. and I just didn't—I didn't give a shit about share. I didn't give a shit about it's a, love. It's yeah. also a, one of—it's an all-timer director that did it, Norman Jewison. Did yeah, that yeah. movie. So it's—it's uh, it's something worth looking into just to just to you know sort of look over his career as well. So. Yeah, no, and it's a—it's really well written. It, it plays out like almost like a Neil Simon. Woody Allen type of script, mm-hmm. um, you know, woman marries one brother and then falls in love with the other brother, that kind of thing. And it's really, really cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, this one's fun, too. Hey. Hey. First off, hey. Hey. <laughs> First off, I love your show and podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, this person recently saw Being John Malkovich, and I was wondering what your favorite roles in movies where actors play themselves or fictionalized versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Cameos not included. Uh, this person's favorite is Malkovich, 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 oh, Malkovich. Yeah. He, of course, steals the best one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Especially when you say cameos not included. Yeah, no kidding. The first thing that I thought of, but it's not him playing himself. It's, it's I thought it was, trying to remember back to it, but uh, was DiCaprio in Celebrity. Oh, yeah, oh, but he's playing he's, himself, but he's, he's not himself. He's playing himself, but he's not playing Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. <laughs> And uh, and he's basically playing like a Johnny Depp right. type of like you know sm- smashes hotel room type of actor and everything. And this is right after Titanic came out too. <laughs> yeah. so it was like a perfect like you know image type of movie to get into. But that's the one with uh, Kenneth Branagh is the yeah is yeah the, Kenneth Branagh's playing yeah, the Woody Allen friend of the show it. friend yeah. of the show. Um, but uh, so so that doesn't count. But you know. Yeah, uh, there's a, a few i uh, think that you mentioned in your own answer mm-hmm. that i'm gonna go i mean i'll you said jane silent bob strike back you you mentioned a couple in there but like jason biggs and james vanderbeek play yeah. like, like funny versions of themselves in that and i think that's like a perfect match like a perfect 2001 <laughs> match you know like those two guys jason biggs was was hot off yeah, american they even call him a pie fucker right <laughs> exactly and james vanderbeek is still kind of like riding that dawson's <laughs> wave kind of they, they call him dawson yeah, in there exactly. too right? yeah uh so it's the perfect like group to be you know the perfect duo to be playing those like actors within the movie playing the uh, even okay. when they're getting arrested because they have a mistaken identity like jason biggs being thrown into the cars like i'm the yes in prison he'll be the pie (laughs) um but uh there's a number of them in the player oh Um, yeah and and i and i came up with four there's probably even more though but the player i just love how all these actors interact with tim robbins character in this because they all have that face on like 
I got to talk to this guy, but I really hate this guy. Yeah. And like, so John Cusack's talking to Tim Robbins at the, at the like restaurant or whatever. And there's, he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, where are you going next? Well, I'm going to tell you ride. He's like, well, maybe I'll see you there. And John Cusack's like, okay <laughs> <laughs> and like there's a point where he runs into burt reynolds and burt reynolds is like oh hey I, I was working with you on that last thing and, oh yeah yeah whatever and he starts walking off and burt reynolds is like asshole <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and, and then there's a moment in there where now bruce willis and julia roberts don't play themselves but they're oh, playing yeah. actors playing what they would play and that last movie that we've been hearing about all the way through the whole movie and everything, the whole thing was like, there's no Bruce Willis, no fucking Julia Roberts. This is real. This is reality. Blah, 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 blah. And it is, of course, at the end, it's Bruce Willis <laughs> yeah. saving Julia Roberts and everything. And, uh, and uh, which is funny to me because they also essentially play themselves in Ocean's 12. Yeah. That one yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah. So Bruce Willis is playing Bruce Willis, and Julia Roberts is playing someone who looks like Julia Roberts in Ocean's Twelve, so. pretending is, to be Julia Roberts. Exactly. Yeah. What does uh, Matt Damon say to him about the Sixth Sense? He's like, he's like, you know, I, I he's like, I, I figured it out after a while or whatever. <laughs> he's like, he's like, at first, yeah, I didn't know. It was like, but no, it was good though. It was good. <laughs> um, my only real answer here is a cheat because it's a TV show, but uh, Seth Green on Entourage. Oh, oh, it's I so good. Playing like asshole version of <laughs> Seth Green. <laughs> Constantly so fucks with E. Yeah. Um, Tell Sloan I said, what up? It's, <laughs> it's so funny. And, and he just obviously relishes it and enjoys it. But you also know because the main characters in Entourage are based on Mark Wahlberg and his friends. Mm hmm. There probably is a real Seth Green something out oh, there yeah. who was another popular actor that he beefed with. Their two, their two crews didn't get along or what have you. Uh, but he shows up on multiple episodes, at least one season, maybe more. Uh, and he's just, he's really, really funny. And, it's, uh, I don't, I, he says something so asshole in this, in this series that you're laughing. You're laughing and you want his ass to get beat at yeah. the same time. Yeah. When he goes, I blasted in, in Sloane's face like a Jackson Pollock ah! <laughs> to, to, to E. Ah! <laughs> it's like, you know, it's on. <laughs> like, those are fighting words. You're laughing your ass off. You're like, oh, my God, please throw down after you say that. Oh, my uh, God. That's a very satisfying conclusion, too, because E. At, at, at that fight, that final fight, because mm -hmm. he, he he may have said, that's maybe what he said, mm -hmm. and he's just like, man, you know what? You're not worth it. And then Johnny Trauma comes from behind and just fucking <laughs> punches yeah, him in the face. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. It's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, um, my Okay, so this is the end. Got kind of positive and negative reviews. I actually ended up liking it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but this is the end is, is everybody playing themselves. Oh, yeah. Um, it's the whole, like, you know, Apatow, Franco, Rogan type of crew there and Danny McBride and all that stuff. And some of that stuff is pretty funny. The Craig Robinson stuff is kind of funny. Some of that stuff goes one way too long and mm -hmm. goes way too far. Uh, but I fucking love the Michael Cera mm -hmm. uh, character in this because he's he's fucking insane. He's all coked up. <laughs> he's smacking Rihanna on the ass. Mm -hmm. He goes that my favorite part is where Jay Baruchel goes in the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> I watched this the other day. He's got he's got coke all over his ass, and he's getting a blue chop. And 
<laughs> You're going to have to say that again. <laughs> You're going to have to laugh this one out and say it again. He's, he's, got, he's got coke all of his, over his ass. <laughs> he's getting a blowjob and he's getting somebody from behind, too. And Jay Baruchel walks <laughs> And he's just like, what's up? <laughs> he didn't do anything. Yeah. And, he's, and he's, he's drinking a juice packet, like a Capri Sun. <laughs> and he's staring at Jay Baruchel and he hands the Capri Sun to the girl. <laughs> and he can hear like this, this sucking noise. <laughs> fucking great, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's he's definitely the best part because it's fucking Michael Sarah. And yeah. I guess that's why they chose him for that. Definitely. But, oh, my God. It's so good. It's so good. Um, oh, yeah, boy. so that's, that's going to be my answer. Got one of those smiley headaches right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, when I when I said my uh, you know started off my answer with Jane, Jason Biggs and James Vanderbeek, one thing that you would put in your your answers was Ben Affleck and Matt Damon playing yeah. in there because they play great hyper versions of yeah. themselves and everything. So like, lion face, ah, <laughs> <laughs> lemon <laughs> face, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's great. <laughs> How do you like? them apples <laughs> i don't like them apples well <laughs> what are we gonna do <laughs> they're all huddling up and everything before the scene and they're like well why don't you just talk to gus and he's over there counting his yeah. money just <laughs> it's like man i'm busy <laughs> <laughs> okay uh here's a nice easy one here what are your favorite product placements in movies this person likes the futuristic lexus ad in minority report yeah again stealing the best answer mm, yeah yep. question asker i mean uh, i like that they give examples but Start giving worse examples. So we can <laughs> yeah, make, make it real <laughs> shitty. Um, mine is Wayne's World. Yeah, it's uh, perfect. The 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 whole thing is about you know them doing ads on the show and doing product placement on the show, and then them telling Rob Lowe we don't bow to any sponsor, but all during the time that they're doing this, saying no to all this, they're eating Pizza Hut like <laughs> straight up at the camera. They they even do a whole like like pill commercial yeah. just like the pill commercial was back in that <laughs> where it was all black and white and two yellow pills would go on the hand and all little that. yellow <laughs> exactly and they just keep going through all these basically just ads all the way through it and it's so funny because it's just so like wink at you and everything and so yeah that's my favorite i love it when they, they pan over to garth and he's got all that reebok shit he's on got the shoes. and he's like it's just really sad <laughs> it's like people just do things to get paid <laughs> I do love the Cadillac one in Bad Boys 2 where they basically commandeer a car that <laughs> Dan Marino is test driving. <laughs> and then after they do this whole car chase with bullets and everything, at some point in the middle of it, the car is handling so well that Will Smith goes, Dan Marino should definitely buy this car. <laughs> uh, and the other one I thought of that I really like is the Fig Newtons in Talladega Nights. Ah, I do love it's it's in the it's in the way there that that product placement is making fun of product placement gone too far yeah. in sports in general specifically in nascar but you know they paid for that <laughs> yeah you know some other brand could have been there if they why wow, this wonder bread that is blah 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 yeah um anyway it's a funny moment <laughs> but uh i don't know i thought that was one of my favorites you know i didn't really think about it until now but there's a lot of product placement in seinfeld you know, between the the junior mints and the juji fruits and the fucking you know, the sob sobs, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of that shit in there. I wonder yeah. how much is. That's the paid thing, for. though, because that. I mean, we've seen product placement. You know, probably started way before we thought it did. Mm -hmm. Way before it was it was fairly obvious. Mm -hmm. But I still believe 
Now, in today's world, there's no brand that's being mentioned or shown on television that's not receiving something for it mm -hmm. or paying for it. Um, that's why you see hats covered up on reality shows with st sticker tape and whatnot. Uh, but back in Seinfeld's era, late 80s, early 90s, I think there was still some stuff getting made that would reference products just because that was the better joke to make. Yeah. Um, and my guess is Seinfeld probably has like 200 Pez dispensers in some <laughs> collection. And that, you know, that one might have been legit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing like, he's a big car guy. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting that he drove the Saab and they referenced it so much. He must really like that car in real life. I no kidding. Guess. Um, so some of it, you know, I think was still natural back then, but mm -hmm. not anymore. I'll tell you what, man. One of the most egregious and cool product placements is the the remake of the Italian job mm. uh, when they used all those Mini Coopers. Ah, mm -hmm. so good. Fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, it sold a shit ton of Mini Coopers, too. Well, yeah, because... You feel like a spy when you're you're like a thief or something like that when you're driving one. Like it's just so European and and quick and and stuff like that and just looks cool. Yeah. The the fact that they used them all for for that scene that that kind of getaway chase scene. Yep. Uh they're moving in concert with each other and you can see how they're responsive and everything. I love that shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's good. And I think there were Mini Coopers in the original, and so Mini Cooper yeah. as a brand had started making them again, and it congealed nicely with the Italian right. Job yeah. remake, and so they used them in that again. But I don't think you'd see them on the road the way you do now. If it's no, not because they were bought movie. by they were bought by one of the big ones, I think. Mm. But you go to L.A., you see, I mean, every third car is a yeah. Mini Cooper yeah. of some variety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, either yeah. that or what's the other Fiat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anytime there's like some new amazing car, like when the Bonds mo Bond movies do an Aston Martin or whatever, it's always like, oh, that's fucking amazing. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just like you'll never have that car. But you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the uh, the when Goldeneye came out, he was driving a BMW Z3, mm -hmm. and everybody wanted those. Oh yeah, and but a Mini actually, Cooper is actually achievable for yeah. a lot of middle class people. I think that's part of why it works really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway. It's very affordable. Yes. It's very affordable. And I love my Ford Focus, or whatever <laughs> Will Ferrell says in that goddamn movie. This is your second uh, Daddy's Home reference. Yeah, here. it is. We are all going to see The Last Jedi in the next few days or so. Mm -hmm. We're going to be mini-potting mini about it. So mini we'll be going about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. That's right. We'll be going into the theater. So as former theater guys, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts about people sneaking in food and drinks into the theater to avoid paying the high prices of the snack bar. Personally, I do it just about every time I go to the theater, and I've only been caught once in a midnight release, and they were doing bag checks. Oh, Okay, so I have an opinion on both sides of this issue. As a theater employee, and especially as a manager, I couldn't give a shit yeah. if you brought stuff in. Because the guy who sneaks food in is never going to buy popcorn at my concession stand anyway. Mm -hmm. That's true. Even if I catch him sneaking it in, make him put it in his car or throw it out, or he just somehow decides to follow the rule. He's not going to go spend money at the concession stand. Right. And and those are the those are the people I cared about. <laughs> Who's coming to my concession stand? You get priority over everybody else because that's where we made our money. Uh, but as a a film attendee, I do it all the time. Yeah. I'm mean, especially beef jerky. That shit's easy to throw into a Ziploc bag and stuff in your pocket. It's filling, tasty. It's got protein. Get you through a whole movie. You can that. you can put sneak that in summer or winter because you can just put it in your shirt or whatever. That's the thing. Down your pants. Yeah, that's the thing. Now, see, my wife, she's got a purse. Oh, nice. So that yeah. makes it easy too uh, to sneak a variety of a bottle of water or what have you, so on and so forth. Full but, bottle of champagne. But I have finally gone long enough 
on my popcorn boycott that I enjoy a little popcorn now and then yeah. when I go to the movies. It's back in, like, after smelling like it for 12 years, I couldn't eat it for the longest time. But um, So I, I go a little both. Like, mm-hmm. I, I swing both ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have, I guess, a multifaceted look at this because uh, my initial reaction is, no, I don't care whatsoever. I didn't care at all. It's always it was always a hassle to tell people that they couldn't bring that type of stuff in. Yeah. Um, but if you did it stupidly, yeah, <laughs> you should be. Penalized. I had to say something. Like <laughs> you're carrying a bucket of KFC. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like S- Stephen Wright had a joke about this too. He's like, I got uh, I got thrown out of a theater for bringing my own food in. He's like, it's like I said, I, I had. It's like. It's like, yeah, but the concession prices are outrageous. And besides, I haven't had a steak dinner in a long time. <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, but yeah, that, I remember, I mean, yeah, it's the attitude you get from people. This guy was bringing in like a big, huge, like 20 ounce Coke. And it was in the back seat, back pocket of his of his pants. Uh-huh. Just hanging out. And I was like, sorry, can't bring that in here. And yeah. he kept trying to find ways to bring it in, like saying he had a condition and all this other bullshit. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, I'm sorry, I, I can't let you do it. And now, condition. I mean, I guess I could have, yeah, because he had to take some sort of medicine or some, I don't know, they always have a condition. Yeah. They always need to take some medicine. You have to say, no, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. I don't care if you die in the auditorium. <laughs> You're not bringing in that Mountain Dew, goddammit. <laughs> How much do you want to see Armageddon? Is it worth <laughs> dying for? Exactly. Do you want to die, friend? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, for the most part, if people just kept it to themselves, it'd be fine. Now, there's another facet to this too, though. It's what you bring in. Yep. The yeah. the there's a the sometimes people would bring in. Now I'm I don't really like I don't really I'm I hate just noises in general. I get very very jangled on any kind of noise. Popcorn, the way certain people eat popcorn is just uh, in just gross. Yep. Yeah. And and I don't like popcorn in general. I don't like wrappers. I don't like anything that distracts me from the movie. And there's people who I don't know how they they live with themselves, man. They're like they're like <laughs> You know, it just keeps going on and on. Now, you have some people who are bringing in bags of potato chips. Right. Potato chips are the worst. Yeah. That's nothing but crunch and crunch Everything about and that bag. is noisy. Yeah. And um and then I always would get a little peeved when I'd hear the the pop of a can pop. Mm-hmm. Just poof, and you're like, can you not bring a bottle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just anything like that doesn't make noise. I'm fine with bring all the starburst in the world. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll get a little upset at that type of thing. But for the most part, yeah, I would I would go out of my way not to say anything. The hassle's not worth it. Like Jeremy saying, they're not going to just suddenly start buying stuff at your concession stand. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, there it's one of those things you throw your hands up in the air and go, hmm, okay, yeah. well he got away with it. You're totally right about the hassle, man, because they, you get the litany of like, no, 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 I got I got to have this for oh, my kid, or so I got to have this for this. Stop it, just quit. <laughs> Don't you realize that you're in an unsympathetic ear right now? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about your crime. 
<laughs> uh, in, in my brief theater career, I had to like actually tell them they couldn't drink. It was like a fucking sandwich, writ like in in uh, what do you call it? Uh, aluminum foil. Oh jeez. And I was like, no, man, no, you can't take that in there. And it was just this whole fucking thing. Uh, I think he th ended up throwing that away, but like I lost every other argument about yeah. that to where I was just like, fuck, I don't give a shit, man. You also, this is a tangent to this. I had a complaint once about some sort of like light or something. It was, I don't think it was a laser pointer, which is something that people still fucking do. I don't understand. You saw it at Murder on the Orient Express. saw it at Murder on the yeah. Orient Express. Somebody was shooting a laser pointer at the fucking screen. And so to my surprise, someone said stop. Yeah. And they stopped. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's it was amazing. That's how it should work. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I used to have to do this thing where I'd have to go upstairs, look down into the auditorium, and find the person like mm. with their arm waving around and shit and then go up and tell that entire row fuck you you getting out of here if this if i see that red light again the entire row is yeah yeah <laughs> like i know you're all together and you're all y'all think this is hilarious that there's a red dot on the fucking screen ha 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 so witty <laughs> um you know i'm kicking you all out for it yeah but like i heard some so there's like a light or something flashing or something in an auditorium so I walked into the auditorium, couldn't really see anything flashing. I don't know if this is what people were talking about, but there was a woman on her phone and she was like sitting there like looking at some baby pictures or something like that. I don't know if that was the complaint, but I'm going to go ahead and say something about it while I'm here. Right. And I'm like, look, could you please put your phone away? And so they would, they, she turned her phone over uh -huh. and I said, could you turn that off? It's like, I turned it over. I'm like, that's not what I asked you to do. I need you to turn it off. And and it's like went through, I think, three different things before she finally just like, okay, and just turned it off and everything. Like, yeah, that was real hard, yeah. wasn't it? That's so difficult. God, uh, I long for the days when we could go two hours without. I'm, I'm as bad as everybody. I don't check my phone in the movie theater. That's right. one th I mean, if I'm at home, I won't go two hours without checking my phone or right. looking on the internet. But Well, um, some people don't realize that there's a way you can check your phone. You can still like have it upside down and like and like turn on the light and then kind of, you know, angle your head a little bit and see if there's anything important. Right. And then or see the time, whatever you're trying to do, and then put it down. Some people, man, they're just like they got that thing lifted up. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think they realize. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, remember when the biggest thing that you had to worry about going to see movies was just people being too loud in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People, kids talking too much or something. Mm -hmm. and now there's laser pointers and phones and mm -hmm. potato chip wrappers. I used to go to the movies when I was in college with a girl that would smoke. She'd go in the back, oh, back row and like halfway through the movie, she's lighting up a cigarette. I'm like, what the fuck, man? And she's like, they, they never kicked me out for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was really hot she was really that's hot. that's the reason yes <laughs> like somebody probably came out like poor some poor mid mid 30s mom came out and said somebody's smoking in there and then they got two like 17 year old ushers to go in and be like oh i see <laughs> oh, nothing it's wrong it's you <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah bring it in man as long as it doesn't distract other people uh, okay, if you could find a role to redeem one formerly well-received actor, like how Tarantino helped revitalize Travolta's career in Pulp Fiction, which actor would you choose and what role would you put him or her in? Mm. So there is an actor out there 
who has not acted mm. in 13 years. Oh. Do you know who this actor is? Um, well, I'm assuming it's not one of the ones I listed. So I'm gonna say... Gene Hackman. It's Gene Hackman. Oh! He hasn't acted in 13 years? Nope. He, uh, he Welcome is, to Mooseport. His last his movie last was Welcome to Mooseport. And um, he retired from acting after Welcome to Mooseport. He has been enjoying being a grandfather. Good for him. And all that. I think he's written some poetry, maybe. Maybe a novel or something. Something like that. Good for him, indeed. But Welcome to Mooseport should not be his, fir- his I last movie. I agree with that. I, I know that he's probably okay with it. He's, he's like, look. I've got a I've got work that speaks for itself. Welcome to Mooseport does not define me. Right. But I believe PTA should write a write a role for Gene Hackman. Ooh. I think Paul Thomas Anderson doing a Gene Hackman movie and giving him something along the lines of a Daniel Plainview, uh. some sort of patriarchal type character or whatever. That would be fucking gold. That would rule, man. And That's, they're feeling their like... oral derricks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, at this point, we'll be getting 87-year-old Gene Hackman. Uh-huh. Wow. Like, if it started tomorrow, you'd get 87-year-old Gene Hackman. And, it, you know, it, I think just for one last thing, it would be nice for him to just get that one more. That'd be perfect. I mean, look at what happened with the Royal Tenenbaums. Mm-hmm. Like, in, a, in the hands of a talented director... In a, in a role like that, like a patriarchal mm. role, man, mm. he, he was awesome. I think that's what was one of, I mean, this is, you know, it could be a million different reasons why he decided to retire then and there or whatever. But I think one of the things that I heard was that he was getting tired of being in movies like Welcome to Mooseport. Like there was a point where Gene Hackman was in like five movies a year. Just, you know, he's playing really hard, just really bad movies yeah. and everything. And I think he probably got tired of that rat race there where, you know, the director doesn't know what they're doing. The studio doesn't know what they're doing. But now we're at a we're in an era where there are definitely studios out there that you know, like your A24s and and uh, the Megan Allison one, the um, God, what is that? Annapurna. Annapurna mm-hmm. you get you those kind of studios would allow you to do what you want and get somebody who knows what he's doing like PTA I think I think that'd be a good swan yeah song. man I like it yeah. I like it a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> um all right so I want to I want to throw out one but I have another answer coming but if I was actually Tarantino and I for a while there he was doing this almost every film like yeah. he put Travolta in Pulp Fiction and everybody's like you restored him to greatness and then he did Robert Forster and Jackie Brown mm-hmm. and everybody's like oh he's back to great I he should cast uh Brendan Fraser oh. in one of his final couple movies mm-hmm. give Brendan Fraser some vulgar lines to say uh, some kind of wacky crazy assassin character to play in a Tarantino universe and come back with a bang Brendan Fraser's been gone for too long Do you think he he could pull that off Fraser could pull that off I think so. Really? Yeah, because he has been, he was, he's known for that squeaky clean type of thing, but a role like that would really bring him back, I think. Now, maybe he, maybe they just found out that he couldn't do it or whatever. He played kind of a dark character in Crash, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and uh, I think he shows enough charm. It's obviously way cartoony, but in the Mummy movies, I think, I'm not saying charm always equits to being able to spew, you know, vulgar dialogue, but I don't think. I don't think Travolta's reputation was any dirtier than Brendan Fraser's before he did Pulp Fiction, and he pulled it off fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the real one I want to go with is way too specific, right. uh, but it's similar to Chris's in that I want to bring somebody out who's in a self-imposed retirement, and that's Rick Moranis. Mm. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Um, 
mostly because I miss him. But then I started thinking, because I've actually, I think I've seen an interview. They, they approached him for the Ghostbusters thing. He's just not, he's not interested. He's happy doing what he's doing. Um, so it has to be something big. It has to be something good to pull him out of mm-hmm. retirement. And so I thought, eventually they're going to make a biopic about Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Oh. And if you get Albert Brooks and James Brooks in, involved in that, you can have a nice sappy drama yeah yada yada and then you give moranis this role and maybe you cover the last like five years of robin williams life or what have you Mm -hmm. and uh maybe that would be the kind of a role both because it's a meaty role but also i i just have this feeling that most of the comedians that came out of that era probably have a lot of affinity for each other Mm -hmm. um so that might draw them out that's a great great idea yeah Yeah. i don't i mean that's another guy that i think uh you know, he retired because, you know, he has, he had his kids, he's making his kids going through college and all mm-hmm. that. And I think there was, a, I saw an article, I think, I don't know, a few years ago that said something like, you know, well, what about after they get out of college and stuff like that? And so, you know, <laughs> people are what, calling him. Yeah. That type so of they thing. graduated, Rick. Yeah. What's happening? But I think he, whatever he's doing, he's enjoying doing it. And I don't know if any kind of big role would get him out. Although I would love to see Rick Moranis come back <laughs> because he's so good. Phone. Hey, Rick, we got a pitch for you. Honey, I blew up the alpaca farm. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so... You could do my blue heaven too. <laughs> yes. All right. So I've got this affinity, despite not liking singles, I really like Campbell Scott. Mm-hmm. Ah. And Campbell Scott has, has been gone from the public eye for, for a minute. Mm-hmm. He's done TV and stuff like that. Uh, I almost, as I was writing this out, I almost said, well, he was in La La Land, but that's Tom Everett's yeah. <laughs> Well, and he also played, um, it was in The uh, the Amazing Spider-Man. Right, right, he right. Played he played Peter Parker's dad. Yep. So uh, that was yeah, like I mean, the last time I think I saw him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's been on some TV and stuff like that. But I think if he had a good meaty role, he could really sink his teeth into. It. And I thought about doing like like a war movie mm-hmm. um, that I think he would he would fit in really well as like the seasoned general or the colonel on the field that's making the calls and everything. Uh, specifically about like you know an Afghanistan type of thing, nothing involving horses. Um, but uh, maybe he's in that movie. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think Campbell Scott could make a star turn and do like a a, a pretty sizable thing. The other one that I was thinking about, you remember Olivia Diabo? Oh yeah, yeah. Olivia Dabo. Is it pronounced Dabo? I'm pretty sure it's Dabo. I'm. I mean, I, yeah. It's, when it the be... Wonder Years was going on and everything, like. Uh, and then I believe it was, was it Greedy that came out? I think she was in Greedy. Uh, I remember them going, the you know, the movie guy, the movie narration guy saying mm-hmm. Olivia Dabo. Ah, it okay. could be one of those things where it's Diabo. They say it so fast, it's da- it sounds yeah, like Diabo. because so. it's that little D apostrophe Diabo. What about right. Terrence Trent D'Arby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Olivia Dabo is a really, really good actress. I mean, she was in The Wonder Years. She was Kevin's uh, uh, sister. And I kind of fell in love with her um, when I was watching that, in addition to Winnie Cooper. I she fell in love with all of her. She's one of my yes. all-time. Yeah. Um, but she's so gorgeous, and she's so talented. And she was in Noah Baumbach's Kicking and Screaming as the main love interest. And she was terrific in that. Mm-hmm. She was authentic. She was believable. She was smart. I would love to see her in another Noah Baumbach film. Mm-hmm. I think... He could get this this performance out of her. I would I did nothing to say about um, Elizabeth Marble's performance in the Meyerwood stories uh, that he did this year. She's fantastic, but I think if you put Olivia Dabo in there, it would be even better. Mm-hmm. Like she 
she connects with that sort of dialogue and that sort of mentality. So uh, if you're listening, <laughs> both Noah and Olivia, mm-hmm. you guys need to get together. And Terrence Trent. And, make a, and Terrence Trent, you guys make a movie baby together. Yes. <laughs> you just reminded me of Pineapple Express when like Franco's explaining to Seth Rogen that the cross joint. Yeah. He's like, if, no, actually, I think he's talking about the weed that's inside. It's it. the Pineapple Express. He's like, if yeah. this had, if this strain and this strain had sex and had a baby, and this strain and this strain had sex and had a baby, and those two babies had sex and had a baby, <laughs> <laughs> and, like and those Rogan, two babies like, fucked. Yeah, <laughs> this would be the offspring. And Seth Rogen has that offhanded line where it's like, this baby fucking weed. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to crawl in here, man. <laughs> Dear Sincast, uh, part question, part request. Uh-huh. Following up on your Defining the 80s podcast, I was wondering if you could discuss some of the more obscure 80s slash 90s movies. Oh, this is a great that you know, right? Uh, because they were played repetitively on cable in that era, but seem to have been lost to time or otherwise forgotten. This person, I'll run through them real quick, has some really good offerings that I've, I've seen maybe one of these. Uh, gotcha with Anthony Edwards. Yeah, baby. You know this? Yeah, it's like a it's like a paintball college paintball war. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it was on. I think it was on the other day. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, Tank, uh, which is a James Gardner, James Cromwell, and C. Thomas Howell. Wow, old C. Thomas. Um, and then Firstborn with Terry Gar and Peter Weller. No. Um, so, what do you guys think? Uh, are some Kind of movies that are that we saw all the time that are lost to time. Um, so yeah, there's a lot in the '80s because uh, as a kid we got HBO around 1985. I, I don't. This is so weird to think about that. Like I just, I, I don't. I, I like my family bought cable and we had HBO <laughs> in 1985. I used to watch. Like I said, I've said this several times. Like all these movies from '84 would come on, the Natural, Never Ending Story, all that would be on during this during this era. But there's a few others that are really obscure that I remember. Animal Olympics, 1980 ah. animated movie with animals in the Olympics. Interesting. Yeah. It has this one song that's like, "Now that we made it, we made it to the top." It's like <laughs> these like a rhino running and like. <laughs> Or whatever, and, and it, it's uh, I don't remember much about it other than that. You know, it would be awesome, and, and I know this is not the case, but it'd be awesome if it turned out you made that up. <laughs> and that, that, you, that movie didn't Everything actually exist, specific about you, you strongly believe you remember this movie and this song. And that no might evidence. be proof of parallel universes <laughs> if, if that was the case. But I remember watching Animal Olympics all the time. Now, like a lot of things in my childhood, I don't remember a damn thing about it other than just that song and that, that was it was animals in the olympics <laughs> animal olympics um another one uh was cloak and dagger ah. henry thomas uh movie after he did oh, at oh yeah and it's about this uh like uh, i think it's an atari video game that has these military secrets on it right his dad is dabney coleman but he's never around so he invents like this this super spy version of dabney coleman <laughs> that's going around and everything's like there's even a scene i think at the end where like an airplane explodes or something like that and we think that his that dabney coleman's on it but he comes walking out of the flames <laughs> at the end of it and everything but uh, i remember the most about cloak and dagger was 
the the video game itself was was kind of stupid it wasn't i don't think it was even the point of that game right. it was that you have to finish it to get to the military secrets and everything man in the mid 80s is all about some war games oh yeah it was man. like all about that but uh i remember though i remember he he has friends who these these like el- this he befriends this elderly couple and he thinks that they're the only ones who can help him and everything and then he for whatever reason i think he's heard something about a three-fingered woman huh. and there's a point where she pulls off like a mitten or something like that and she's got three fingers or yeah. something like that it's kind of scarred me for life when, <laughs> I was, when i was seven years old uh but again you know in the 80s they didn't give a fuck about your feelings um so uh so cloak and dagger was another one um another one that i thought of was uh midnight madness this is a sort of a scavenger hunt movie that was going on. It had Michael J. Fox, one of the early Michael really? J. Fox. I don't think he was in it a lot or anything, but I was re- the 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 idea of these scavenger hunts when I was like that age. Now this movie came out in 1980. I think uh, I didn't see it until like five when I was like eight or nine years old or whatever. But it's one of these scavenger hunt movies where they're going around the town and they have to find these little these little things and get on to the next thing and whatever it was really sort of like captured my imagination yeah. uh back in the back in the day um i wrote down two others that i didn't really see on cable that much mm-hmm. but they're obscure enough that they just popped into my head and i know that as as a movie theater worker like every once in a while these movies would show up on cable and i'd be like oh yeah i remember that movie and i'd i'd watch it or whatever greedy which is of some movie that i had mentioned just because of olivia Dunn. Right. michael j fox yeah was in another michael j fox kirk douglas is this like uh this guy who's about to die and he's about I to love get this movie yeah oh, i do great. too I, I love greedy phil hartman's in it phil hartman's in it is uh his uh his, he's gonna he's trying to decide who's gonna be the 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 heir to his fortune uh-huh and michael j fox is of course our our good guy but everybody in this movie is doing horrible horrible things and uh it has a nice it has a really fun ending to yeah. it and everything uh uh actually something that i would recommend it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's actually a decent movie when, now, when was that released 94 yeah yeah um but i believe this was the trailer that i was thinking of when i was thinking of the olivia dabo's name because olivia dabo is just eye candy in this yeah movie. yeah um here's a movie that you should not watch Ooh. exit to eden oh, oh. <laughs> 1994 <laughs> as well <laughs> now I walked into this movie many, many times <laughs> because Dana Gee. Delaney. Yep. Dana Delaney. Totally yes. Dana Delaney's so, so, so hot in this movie. And I would I would I would sit through the stupidest shit just to see Dana Delaney. There is some stupid shit. It's in got this. Rosie O'Donnell and Dan Aykroyd are like uh, uh, uh undercover investigators. Yep of this this island where they do all this sex stuff and everything that's pretty much what it yep. is and uh that's as appealing as it sounds kids yep yeah. and uh and and like it just it's a terrible terrible movie but yeah it's obscure enough that i was like <laughs> why do i remember that so oh it's because of dana delaney yeah, you don't hear much about exit to eden anymore no this was one of my favorite questions i think we've gotten because you know i didn't i didn't have cable until maybe sixth grade seventh grade and even then it was basic cable uh but there were a lot of movies in the 80s that played over and over again that have been lost to time i'll stay with michael j fox and talk about the secret of my success oh yeah nice which has you know once back to the future kind of became the thing 
you know, anything he basically made around that era disappeared, even Teen Wolf to a mm. degree. Because when Teen Wolf came out, that movie was the shit among my friends for like a year or whatever. Well, mm -hmm. it was the, the 1985 Back to the Future and Teen Wolf were one and two wow. as far as box office. Are you serious? Yep. Teen Wolf was number two? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was that big of a hit. Oh, yeah. Wow. Fuck Teen Wolf. Anyway, secret of my success, young Monday Fox gets a job at his uncle's company in the mailroom, mm -hmm. finds an empty office, decides to create a fictional uh, board member who works there, and basically keeps going back and forth between pretending to be that guy, going to meetings. <laughs> All he has to do is avoid his uncle. He's the only person that knows what he looks like. Uh, falls in love with this other executive girl who's really hot. Um, at one point, his uncle asks him to drive his wife home, and she fucks him. Uh, <laughs> by the end of the movie, Michael J. Fox has engineered a hostile takeover of the company using the wife who fucked him in the pool house's stock <laughs> to basically oust the uncle and be put in charge of the entire company. Wow. Um, also has a song I remember. The secret of my success <laughs> yes. is that I'm living 24 hours a day. <laughs> Anyway. Um, yeah, by the way, totally wrong about Team Wolf. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, at least you didn't say 100%. Uh, it was 26 that year. You only, you only missed I'm, 25 movies. And and by probably hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> um, no, I, I think the reason I think that is because I always think it's amazing that Michael J. Fox did both of those movies in the same year. And Teen Wolf was a hit, but it wasn't, you know, it made $33 million in 85, which is... In today's dollars, probably a hundred million dollar hit, something like that. But Rambo: First Blood Part Two was actually number two that year. Wasn't he also doing Family Ties at that point? Too? He was. It was the. It's one of the the crazy. I don't know how he did all that. I think he shot a lot of his Family Ties that he needed to shoot early. Yeah, because he knew he was going to. Because he wasn't on Back to the Future right, right. away. It was Eric Stoltz. So like. Uh, so like he had to do his family ties and then I guess they may have written him out enough to be like, not have to be there all the time. Mm. I don't know how they did it, but I know that he did enough of his family ties that he could go and do back to the future. And then I believe it was team. Man, I don't know. Maybe team wolf. Maybe it came first. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I'm not sure. It was one of those just crazy years. I don't know how in the world he did it. You have to be his age to do. He it. was he was involved with the number one and number twenty six. He was the, no, the number twenty sixth of nineteen eighty five. That's that's no joke. At least we know that specifically now, so that's a little bit of well, trivia. Well, yeah, it's it's funny because it's Back to the Future, Rambo: First Blood Part Two, and then Rocky Four. Those oh yeah, were the only movies that made over a hundred million. Sly made had year. a good year. Mm -hmm. Um, another one today. Most people who know Patrick Dempsey probably know him from that Doctor Show. Yeah. Uh, Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. Never mm -hmm. watched a single episode. Really? He's mixed something. I know that. <clears throat> um, but for a hot minute there in the 80s, he was a Michael J. Fox-like um, teen star, rising star. Mm -hmm. I remember most people talked about and remember this movie, Can't Buy Me Love. Yep. <laughs> um, which I was in love with the girl in that movie. Yes. And that's kind of like a rags to rich. It's basically Aladdin in it's, present She's day. all that for the 80s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm. uh, but I remember seeing over and over and over again this movie called Lover Boy. Yeah. Where Patrick Dempsey played a pizza delivery guy who becomes a whore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where all these middle-aged women are ordering pizzas just so they could fuck this guy. And he's like a teen. And he's I don't know if he's saving for college. I don't remember anything other than... Even sanitized for TV, the idea of this kid repeatedly delivering pizzas and getting sex gave me a boner. 
the last one I want to mention, and hopefully somebody out there remembers this movie, Jim Cotta. I oh I don't I've heard I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Oh my god, it's like a gymnast kung fu race. Oh, to the death. It's got like a little Mortal Kombat. And it's got like a six million dollar like sound effects to like the gymnast moves this guy does. I feel like it's all set on like a desert mountain. I don't really remember much more than gymnastics plus karate in some kind of race. Jim Kata. Jim Kata. Nice. Jim like gym class. Uh-huh. Kata. Like Kata. Yeah. Like welcome back, Kata. Yes. Yes. Man, I thought you were gonna mention Daryl. Okay, so Daryl was the other one on my list that I've seen a bazillion times. I just thought it would connect with that's, fewer people. That's the that's the one that's D dot A yes. dot. Yeah. Okay, never seen that one. I watched that a million times because yeah, I had it on videotape. My grandmother, for whatever reason, recorded. She's like, "I bet you, I bet you like this." So uh, I watched it. Just she always put it on anytime I was over there. I was like, "All right." Yeah, I I, I saw it a million times. I, I liked it a lot. I just <laughs> didn't for some reason. I thought Jim Cotto would hit more. <laughs> You raised your arms right before I said Jim Cotta, and then nothing happened. I thought I was the only other person that had seen uh, Daryl. Um, okay, I've got a few. Uh, in 1980, there's a movie called Private Eyes with Don Knotts and Tim Conway, and it was a spoof of like the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know they're bumbling and they don't know what's going on, but they're investigating the death of this this old man Morley, uh, the the land baron or something like that. And Don Knotts and Tim Conway in that era, I thought were fucking hilarious. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just tickled my funny bone, and uh, I loved watching. I watched that all the time. Yep. Um, a movie called Little Monsters came out. Oh, in 1989. Is this the one with Fred Savage? Fred Savage and Howie Mandel and the I apple ain't. juice pee. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't see this either. Uh, this is not a good movie. No. You should not watch this movie at no, all. No, no, no. Uh, but Fred <laughs> Savage is is has a monster in his closet or under his bed, and it's Howie Mandel. And he's <laughs> not no makeup, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Howie Mandel yeah. under his bed. Hey guys, how's it going? But he's uh, he's like this prankster. He's like a Howie Mandel type of uh, type of uh, prankster. And they go on adventures in the monster world and everything. And then suddenly Fred Savage starts to turn into a monster. Um, I literally read the novelization of this movie. I loved it so much. Wow! Uh, but it's not a very good movie. No. So, and there's um, a whole apple juice pea scene that yeah. tells you everything you need to know yes. about the comedy. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention because I watched it a lot. Ghost Dad. Oh, this yeah. was oh this God. was uh, Bill I have Cosby. Seen this. Bill Cosby had this weird. Uh, <laughs> everything about Bill Cosby is weird. <laughs> yes, at but these days. his movie career was just always weird to me because he did Leonard Part Six, mm-hmm. which was a parody of like James Bond and all that stuff, and Rambo and things like that. And then he did Ghost Dad, mm-hmm. uh, where he's this busy, you know, uh, executive that dies in a bus accident but still has to close the deal after he's dead <laughs> as a ghost <laughs> and then win his kids back too but he's still a fucking ghost yeah so uh yeah ghost dad was one in 1990 and then my last one is also a michael j fox uh movie Sweet. it's doc hollywood oh, oh yeah cars cars yeah. exactly he he gets stranded you know the, a car wreck in this southern town and uh, he gets sentenced to work in the hospital or something like that and it's noteworthy because there was a very audacious nude scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, PG-13. Julie, Julie Warner. Julie Warner, yeah. Uh, it was PG-13, and it is out there. And yeah. 
Yeah, it's it was, like amazing. It's a miracle that movie's PG thirteen. Yeah, exactly. Because I got to see it. It's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it doesn't show. It's not just a quick snippet of of boobage. It's like it, I was like fourteen when that movie came out, and like we're all like, let's go to Duck Hollywood, and then this scene comes up, and I'm like, hell yeah, hell yeah. And, I'm in the right theater. And then she says the best thing ever. Yes. You can blink now. Oh my god, it's great. <laughs> and she plays a great character in there too. It's it's actually a fun movie. It's worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Michael J. Fox really like in his prime. Yeah, you know? and I went through a thing where I went back and caught everything he made in that era that I had never seen, like mm-hmm. Life with Mikey. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen that? That's a mm-hmm. James Brooks movie. Um, and they're all they they all have a certain. There's something about Michael J. Fox, man. He's just likable, and I'll watch anything that he's Bright Lights, Big City. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, you ever see that? Yeah, yeah. 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 He's he was, on a downward spiral of alcoholism and cocaine, but I still like him in that movie because he's Michael J. Fox. He, uh, after the Parkinson diagnosis, he was on a multi-episode arc of Scrubs. Yeah. That was really, really well, he good, was on, too. I think he was on The Good Wife. I'm pretty sure he was on The Good he Wife. He has this thing in, in Scrubs where he's like the perfect doctor. People show up and and like try to learn from him, talk to him and everything. He's the greatest communicator. He's the greatest surgeon. and But he's got OCD is his thing. Um, and so it, it's a comedic thing. It's funny and everything, but he's got this scene at the very end of, of his tenure there where he's got OCD so bad that he can't stop washing his hands. Mm-hmm. And so JD, uh, Zach Braff is talking to him in the, in the washroom basically. And he's like, man, how do you do it? Hey, you know, can you just tell me how you can do all this stuff? And he's like, well, I would, if I could stop washing my hands 50 times over and he just screams he's got this wonderful dramatic moment uh uh, that was really really uh exciting i I loved him in that i like that oh yeah oh here's a fun one a question for a future podcast nostalgia critic joked in a review of a terrible christmas special about the last line being shut that door and how that was a terrible way to end the movie (laughs) that's pretty funny um so what do you guys think are some of the worst last lines of movies uh for this person uh, they didn't think anything would ever be as bad as I'm not scared. No more pull-ups. Nice. From the mm. end of 2012. Mm. That is that is that is awful. Mm. That is really bad. terrible. Pretty damn bad. Uh, fucking John Cusack in that fucking movie. It's just it, it's awful. Mm. Anyway, what are you guys' thoughts about the worst last lines? And hell, let's throw in some best last lines. See, I don't know if I have this. I don't know if this qualifies for worst. Um, the, the there's a there's a line that i have conflicts with in seven and that's the ernest hemingway once wrote you mm-hmm. know the world is a fine place and worth fighting for i agree with the second part right it is a perfect thing to hear at the end because morgan freeman's very soothing and you know it's like we just saw some shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> but then when you really break down that line it's like so the world's a terrible place and worth fighting for I, I don't know what to think about that. Um, yeah. It does. It is thought provoking at the very least. And it's not nearly as bad as the examples we've been given for this question and everything. But I thought very long and hard about this. And some of the uh, there I'm going to go get to the other one here in a minute. It's not a last line of the movie, but it's 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 close to the end of the movie. But uh, that seven one has given me. Has given me fits occasionally because yeah, yeah. it's like it's a it's okay so it's a terrible world why is it worth fighting for yeah at that point then why aren't you just a nihilist at this point um, but uh, in American President mm-hmm. now American President actually has a great last line which is apparently I have a rose garden yeah <laughs> which is a you know he, he 
throughout the movie he's tried to get roses for his girlfriend he can't because he keeps saying he's the president on the phone they always think it's crank call yeah and so on and so forth she he finally gives annette benning roses at the end of it and she goes well you were finally able to be president and get roses at the same time and he goes well apparently i have a rose yeah. <laughs> um but there's uh some lines this is this is a kind of a different question i guess but this is they have the all-time worst get back together lines i've ever heard a couple who has been fighting he says i didn't bring up 445 which is a bill right uh, about uh, guns i didn't bring up 445 so that you would come back and she goes and i didn't come back because you brought up 445 <laughs> and they get together and it's the worst freaking like set of lines i've ever heard to get back together in my life um and so that's what immediately got into my head of course there's several lines after that but uh but that's what i came up with as far as my worst is concerned um on the best ones um out of context the last line of speed is okay i guess we'll have to base it on sex then yeah <laughs> and this is after of course in the movie she says uh, relationships based on intense uh, experiences never work he repeats that to her again <laughs> while they're making out on the now destroyed train that yeah. they've gone through and everything and she goes okay well, i guess we'll have to base it on sex though <laughs> um and then also i'm finished from there will be blood. oh perfect <laughs> i have thought about that last line way too much mm -hmm. it means so many things it means so many things and i didn't it was so weird to hear when the first time i saw it i didn't know what to make of it mm. and i was just like what, what okay yeah it could be that could mean that and I still don't know if I know. I think exactly. it means about it. I mean, it means a lot of things to me. First off, just on the surface, it means I'm done with this guy that you, right. you know, I'm telling my butler I'm done with this guy. Uh, I'm finished also means could mean that he is now going to go to jail for the rest of his life yep. for killing somebody. I'm finished could also mean I'm done with everything I need to get done on this earth. Yeah. And so it's got three meanings for me. Yeah. Could it also mean he just just his pants? It could also mean that. <laughs> well, he really enjoyed killing the fuck out well, of uh, when he, Eli. Yeah, especially with a bowling pin. That's, yeah. that's, what, that's where you get some really good like sexual friction. <laughs> um, the last line of your eyes wide shut is the reason I hate that movie. And I don't even know what it is. I think she says something like, let's go home and fuck. Or she says, fuck. there's yeah. one thing that we're going to have to go home and do immediately. And there's a pause of about 10 minutes. Or <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, fuck. She goes, fuck. And yeah. then the, it cuts immediately. Yeah. And they're in a fucking toy store. Too. Yeah, they're in a toy store. Uh, everything about that bothers me. It Why just, does it bother you so much? Everything I just saw was for nothing. No one's going to learn any lessons. Yeah. We have, we have heat. To, Let's have go to, fuck. Do we have to learn lessons when we watch movies, though? No, but I want a character who goes on an arc to have some sort of significant change. Here's, and, here's why I, feel I like think, anybody I does. think he has gone through yeah, a significant Yeah, here's why I think change. that does work. Because the one thing that nobody does in that movie is fuck. Except for the, the orgy guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman... Don't fuck and after that first after the party thing. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have sex at all. And he's I, this whole thing is a pursuit of sex and her kind of having this psychological hold over him with her not having sex with this guy, but wanting to. 
So it's like their desires have built up so much outward. Can't she still that she wants say to bring them inward? Blunt and crass. Can't she? Couldn't it just end? There's one thing we're gonna have to do as soon as we get home. Cut to credits. It's the it's the beat and her going fuck. Felt, I, I see. Yeah. It felt like ah, we gotta end with something vulgar. Yeah. Even though this movie has spent the entire movie dipping its toes in raunchy sex and thoughts, it hasn't really gotten vulgar mm-hmm. like that. And it just felt like an easy bow. Like, eh, I anyway, I don't hate the movie. I would agree. I said I did. I don't hate the movie. No, no, no. I I would agree if it were a lesser, and I don't mean to get fucking Kubrick staring at me here, but mm-hmm. I think in a lesser movie that was... You know, more about, like, actually getting your fuck on and stuff like that, or, like, maybe even a comedy or something like that. I think it would ring hollow. But I think in this context, I think that works for me because she's been fairly chased outside of her her reported, you know, feeling like her transgression. She's been taking care of the kids. She's been doing the stuff at work. Well, isn't this also this line? I, I've, I've thought of, like, two different things here because... There's the Chris Rock routine where he's talking about like ever since I got married, I you know I haven't gotten a really good blowjob. Yeah. I've had fellatio. <laughs> 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 and so, so it's it's stuff like that. And there, and and there's a in the what's the movie I'm thinking of? Um, Your friends and neighbors. Uh-huh. There's a scene where Aaron Eckhart's talking to his wife Amy Brenneman, and he's like, I think we should just like take all our clothes off and treat each other like meat yeah you know and there's this i think there's this idea that if they have had sex in the past it's been this really like mechanical just like i'm you know we're making love so on and so forth mm-hmm. nothing that's you know we're not we're we're pretending here like we don't want to like really just go at it and we yeah. should do it every once in a while so I think that's maybe possibly where it's kind of going towards there. Like it's like no, let's not make love. Let's just fuck for once. And um, I don't know. I still I think you have to dissect that. Uh, I mean, we probably could spend two hours dissecting that line. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's whether it's an actual good like for the movie type line because I still don't know. Mm. It's one of those like I'm good with that. But at the same time, I, I agree with Jeremy. I don't know if it's appropriate totally. I'm gonna, yeah. have to, I'm gonna have to, you know, think about this some more and read some novels on this whole. <laughs> I think I've told you my experience watching that movie. I've never seen anything like it, and it had me. Mm-hmm. Like even some of the stupid decisions Tom Cruise's character makes, I can understand why he's making yes. them, and I was invested. And then it comes to down to this, fuck, boom, cut to titles, and I just felt used like yeah. manipulated like there was not a greater deeper meaning coming like i had sort of been no yeah i mean it, there's believe. no like end of 2001 or anything like that no, there's it's no just, payoff okay i wanted to cheat on you you wanted to cheat on me let's go cheat on each other by fucking each other and it's just <laughs> i don't know anyway the last line that i love is the one from the prestige uh, yeah. michael this Caine's gets like, me chills every time you want to be fooled yeah and i think he's either mimicking or repeating the opening narration he is and you know you see what's on screen right when he says that another great timed cut to black to be fooled <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's perfect. That movie's just again, it's a it's a fucking puzzle. I don't know how they ever made that movie. Mm. I swear to God, they just shot willy nilly, and and then they went into the editing room and like smoked magic grass, <laughs> somehow pieced it all together. And the because every time I watch that movie, I'm re- I'm shocked at how much of the ending you see in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because um, you don't realize it feels like. It, it feels like when you think back on that movie, it starts with the two of them working for the magician. Which knot is he going to tie? And the wife is in the... Bo- but it doesn't start there. Mm-hmm. Like, you're in Colorado with Angier. Uh, it starts... You know, what, what's his name's in prison? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just hops all over that timeline in the absolute perfect... Like, almost God made that movie. Yeah. I don't know how <laughs> anyone else... Their it's brain approach even handle it. Yeah, anytime you think about, like, no, 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 they missed that. You go... It, they yeah. didn't miss that. I don't know. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, okay, so I've got one that may be a little bit divisive, but the end of The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. almost a perfect movie. I thought that the uh, the Two-Face stuff was a little bit tacked on at the end, especially when he starts going after Gordon's family and all that stuff. And then it has that regular ending where um, Two-Face is killed you know, in the service of Gordon's family and everything. Mm-hmm. Gordon, in these new Batman movies has nothing for me. I don't care about Commissioner Gordon, whether it's in the Nolan universe or whether it's J.K. Simmons showing up in Justice League. Um, but he delivers the last line of The Dark Knight where he's like, we'll pursue him because he can take it. He's our he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is that even necessary? Mm-hmm. You know, I, we, we'll go after him because he can take it. The fuck does that mean? <laughs> that, that holds nothing for me. If you cut off that last line, I'd be perfectly happy. I agree. It adds nothing. It's. I agree completely. It's just uh, and, getting a roll credit. And I just don't look. I think they've explored Jim Gordon really cool ways in the comics, mm-hmm. but the movies have never have never tried uh, from Burton's on. Yeah. He's always just been this you know tertiary character that that turns yeah, on the light. Yeah, they try to give him some meat in the Dark Knight with the whole faking his death and his wife screams at bat. It doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, you know they. Gary Oldman's a great actor. J.K. Simmons is a great actor. They're just the movies aren't treating this as a character that needs depth. Yeah, just like Alfred. I mean, Michael Caine's Alfred is great because it's Michael Caine, not because they, <laughs> they gave him a bunch of depth of character. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been a good bookend too to that movie to have it just silent and showing. Well, not silent, but showing him, uh, you know, on his motorcycle or whatever. And I know I'm not getting the name of the fucking vehicle. <laughs> On his little bikey thing. Yeah, on his little bike. Um, and and you see, you know, cops chasing after him and all that stuff. Because it would have been a silent, it would have been a uh, a, just a music uh, ending when it begins with a musical begin, like just a just the sparest of sound beginnings, too. Um, but you know, maybe they just felt like they needed to have that one heroic thing that somebody says at the end and says you know we're conflicted about this guy i hear something i don't understand in the dark knight the batmobile crashes and pulls together enough iron giants together enough spare parts to to make the the bat cycle whatever the bat pod i think is what the Mm. technical term for it is eight years later dark knight rises he's still driving the bat pod even though in dark knight rises we see like Eight more of those Batmobile vehicles that are yeah. in the arsenal. Right. And don't tell me he couldn't get one of those ready in time because the first time we see him driving the Bat Pod, he also pulls into the alley and he's driving the Bat Plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Helicopter mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that he somehow got ready and painted black. <laughs> so I just don't understand why he thought, okay, I'm back in the game. I'm going to stick with the motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of, I'm going to go get me another 
thing that has missiles and shit. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, for my best line, this is an obscure movie that Chris recommended to me. It's called Frank. Mm. So oh. this is Michael Fassbender. With a big thing on his head. With a big thing on his head. Um, a goiter. Yeah, well, he's got he's got a big head. It's like mm-hmm. uh, like the DJs now with the uh, the uh, danger mouse, uh, not danger mouse, uh, dead mouse, mm-hmm. dead mouse. And uh, Marshmallow has one of these big heads that obscure the face and everything. And Frank, he's got like a whole air conditioning unit in there. Never takes it off. Never mm-hmm. takes it off the entirety of the movie uh, until the very end. Ballsy for an actor, I think it is. And what you what this movie does is you fall in love with this dude. Like he's super talented. He's super nice. He, he could just do anything. Like, he holds everybody together, basically. And everything falls apart when Donald Gleason takes his... I'm spoiling the movie a little bit, but you'll still enjoy it. Uh, everything falls apart with him when Donald Gleason takes his head off. Mm-hmm. And he ends up going to a psychiatric institution and everything. And so the band tries... To, the, the final scene is the band trying to play without him. And they're they're like a house band, basically. And they're, they're playing, you know, serviceable music. And Frank ends up coming into the bar and jamming with them. The whole thing is that they can do improvisational stuff. And and his the way he writes lyrics is he looks around and everything. And and he's his refrain for this song is, I love you all. And he's looking at the wall. See, it sounds like he's saying, I love you wall. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it builds up to this beautiful ballad. And at the end, he's just screaming, I love you all. Huh. And he's talking about loving you all. Mm-hmm. And God, damn, I just got chills from from doing that, man. It's a fucking great ending I love to a that very ending. interesting, interesting movie. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'm off to check that out. Yeah, it's good. It's on, I believe it's on Netflix. All right. Yeah. Groovy. I should get your Blu-ray back. <laughs> or yeah, or you could bring my Blu-ray back and I could give it to Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, just got on the Sincast train and I love it. Thank you. While listening to the Mount Rushmore podcast, I thought of a question. Uh, what movie has a soundtrack that takes you out of the movie when rewatching? My example is Lady Hawk. I loved it as a kid, but when I try to watch it now, the horrible soundtrack destroys it. What do you think? That's a good question. I'm not sure if there's been uh, any movies that I've watched that I watch over and over or watch a second time that the score took me out of it. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you a movie I watched that I like the score, but it takes me out of it. And it's Jackie. Oh, yeah. Jackie has great music, but everything's so dramatic. I mean, the whole the, the movie's about what Jackie does after JFK is dead. Uh-huh. And like it's like it's it's basically the decision she makes about whether where his funeral arrangements are and where his coffin's going to be taken and all that and then this music's just like just super like you know violin-y and you know all that type of stuff it's like just very heightened like there's something really like you know you have to be worried about going on during the thing and it's and it's like I like I like the movie, I like Natalie Portman in it and all that. And the music is good. It just feels out of place. Yeah. And it takes you out of it because you're sitting there going, That's some really nice music there. It doesn't feel like it should be with the scene, <laughs> but I really, really like it. <laughs> um both the amazing Spider Man films have an odd middle of the movie pop song. Yeah. Under some kind of montage. The one I'm gonna talk about is Amazing Spider Man two, and it has a normal score. Normal score in the beginning, normal score in the ending. Um, and somewhere along the middle where he's like learned more about his dad, 
and his dad's intentions or what have you, it just cuts to this Philip Phillips song, Gone, Gone, Gone. <laughs> Give me reason to be yeah. <laughs> You would do the same for me. Because I would do it for you. And I guess he's doing it for his dad. For you. And I'm just like, I've always thought like, I bet you this guy's like Philip Phillips' god uncle or something. Like the guy, <laughs> you know, Mark Webb making the movie. Because otherwise... It, and, or maybe I actually I think I googled this I don't remember what I found but I thought well maybe Philip Phillips is signed to Sony and Sony oh, maybe forced is, yeah. the song into it's not a bad song right it just it's so out of a out of place for like ah and now here's the pop song that paid to be here <laughs> uh, and anyway the first movie has a very similar moment uh, but I can't remember isn't that it song. three doors down what? I think what's the song in the first one isn't it three doors down because I, I originally thought it was another Philip Phillips song but when I'm Googled him. He only showed up on Amazing Spider-Man two, and I didn't feel like diving down to find. I know that they. Uh, oh, Coldplay it? has one until it... Kingdom Come, and then Hero Nickelback's Hero was in Spider-Man, Spider-Man three. three, two. That was that Chad Kroger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, they say that a hero That was awesome. Yeah. As a non-participant, <laughs> just sitting here watching and listening, that mm-hmm. was awesome. Oh, and uh, Spider-Man 2 also <laughs> had Macy Gray. Uh, oh, yeah, during, that's right. During the one scene. <laughs> exactly what that sounds like. Yeah. Well, she had that one hit, and they were like, oh, she's the next Mariah Carey. We better make her the star of our New York City Times Square parade. Right. Yeah. I'll try to say goodbye. That's not even the I song choked. she's singing in that movie. In the movie, she's singing some some other song. Yeah. You know, some of those other Macy Gray hits that we all know about. She's she singing, the secret of my success. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's singing the theme from Animal Olympics. That was in the uh, first Spider-Man, by the way. That uh, hero the hero? Yeah. Everything was inspired by Animal Olympics. I think uh, I think, I think, think the Return of the Jedi was inspired yes, by Animal Olympics. definitely. Um, one thing that really surprised me, because I hadn't seen Gangs of New York in a while, and when you watch that again, it's not as good of a movie as I remember. Mm. Um, from a, a lot of perspectives, he does this weird, during the fights in particular, Scorsese does this weird Oliver Stone type of thing where he slows down the footage yep. and he makes it all kind of like, I don't know, like edited like a music video or something mm-hmm. like that. And what's weird is that that first fight with Liam Neeson's and uh, uh, Bill the Butcher, they, you know, they yell and all that stuff. And then when they start fighting... It's this Irish type of music, mm-hmm. which is totally period appropriate. Mm-hmm. And then at some point when like Bill and Liam look over for each other, there's this weird like fucking EDM stuff that, that comes in like, <laughs> like, what the fuck is that, man? And it completely takes you out of the movie. Uh, I think it comes back in the last fight with Leo and Bill the Butcher, too. But it's just so bizarre because it starts off fine mm-hmm. and then it just devolves into like Junkie XL or something like that. It's <laughs> like, all right, the, <laughs> it's the David Guetta remix or something like that. Yeah, that was a great um, impression of the beat, by the way. <laughs> My wife and I were in a car yesterday and uh, Uptown Funk was on. Uh-huh. And you know where it does that r- multiple hit of the, it does it multiple times uh-huh. in the song. But without prepping her, without even really thinking, I just went, and like she lost her <laughs> Anyway. It's a mega mailbag, baby. Mm-hmm. All right. Syncast. Combined cinematic universes are all the rage currently, but I wonder if you could combine two films or film universes to create the best cinematic universe of your own, what two would you choose? Okay. Now, 
in the context of the question where they're asking for the best. Yes. I'm not going to get the best, but I have always wanted to put the Gremlins and the Purge in the same movie. Ah. <laughs> wow. Um, because, wow. Because the Gremlins, well, just Gremlins, are about are about rules. You, ha- you have to follow rules yeah. on, on that. Uh, but maybe purge society has gotten to the point where people like to like grow mogwais and stuff like that. You know, however they grow mogwai. <laughs> uh, you know, they just add water, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, uh, so, so, yeah, I've always wanted to see what would happen if gremlins were out on purge night, and uh, and uh, it would it would fuck some people up, man. That'd be insane. Mm-hmm. I bet somebody's working on that right now. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, I just I just think it'd be fun. The other one I thought of was Wall Street and the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, nice. Um, Ooh. Which isn't necessarily two franchises getting together, but I think it would be cool to have all the basic sharks that are in Wall Street face off against the ones that are in Wolf of Wall Street. Nice. Yeah. And you could have like, you know, 20 something year old Charlie Sheen going up against Leonardo DiCaprio. Michael Douglas is trying to, you know, I mean, they're all trying to fuck each other, basically. I'd love to down. see Gordon Gecko and Jordan Belfort uh, just having a conversation. Yeah, man. for sure. The uh, the the thing is, um, Michael Douglas and Terrence Stamp in that in wall in the in in the original Wall Street uh, have that have that there's that great moment where sheen's just basically fucking douglas over by like he he gets the you know douglas is gonna like do this massive thing where he cashes out huge on this one stock so sheen does everything normal like usual but then terrence stamp comes in and starts buying up stock Uh and then selling it and making it cheap so like douglas has got like all this like nearly worthless stock in his that's the whole you know sort of thing in the wall street it'd be great if there were like all that happening in in those you know those two universes those people just trying to fuck each other yeah yeah yeah. with a whole bunch of stuff and they think that there's no way that this person will get on you know get on their stock and everything or do whatever else that you do in wall street daily that fucks people over but you know i just think it would be fun having all those characters it's interesting because the wall street characters as vulgar as they seemed at the time are nothing compared to Wolf of Wall no, Street. No, no, nothing at all. Well, they're then, not talking about having midget parties where they're throwing it at a. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I mean, there there is definitely some you know serious evil going on though with Gecko's character because I mean that that's obvious overstatement, but like uh, the uh, the he you know he's talking about like it's not about it's not about living comfortably it's yeah. about being able to have your own jet and being able to win and winning is the biggest thing yeah. and everything like he doesn't even really care about the people he fucks over it's just about winning mm-hmm. um but uh you know it with the wolf of wall street you also have to think about stuff like boiler room which is also based on the jordan belfort stuff too boiler room and glengarry glenn ross you can get throws people thrown into <laughs> that whole thing too. nice you know you could, that's definitely a lot of fucks you could you oh yes it is oh <laughs> oh my yes that is the most fucks that is all the fucks yes uh i'm i'm not answering the question in terms of creating a cinematic universe or even mashing two up but i have a fan theory about two movies that i like all right mr white tom hanks's character from that thing you do and carl hanratty his character from catch me if you can are the same person. Mm. Now, that thing you do is takes place in 64, mm-hmm. and their rise to fame and fall is all within a calendar year. But Mr. White 
which doesn't have to be his real name in Hollywood in the music business. Right. Nope. Maybe his real name was Carl Hanratty, and that didn't look as good on a business card. But he shows signs in this movie of being weary of the industry. And he even says to um, Tom Everett Scott at the end, when the band has broken up, you know, one hit wonders. It's mm-hmm. a very common story. Like mm-hmm. it all, I could see him walking away after this final last one hit wonder. Mm-hmm. And maybe he goes to join the FBI. He's good with numbers. Yeah. Abagnale started his fraud in 63, but wouldn't have been on Hanratty's radar until 65 or 66. Yeah. It's plausible to me. Same character. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, totally not true, but I just think I th- I like it. I think it'd be fun. The both Hanks characters have a fun side to them, and but kind they of both a, have a little bit of a gruff, all uh-huh. business kind of side. You know, handwriting. If you just looked at them side by side, looks a little older. Uh huh. You know, more receding in his hairline. Lost a little bit of his patience. That's why he tells the knock knock joke. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I just liked that uh, when I thought of it. Uh, for my cinematic universe, I want to mash up High Fidelity and Empire Records. I'm mm-hmm. not surprised to see you go this direction. Uh, Is it like the, the only two movies ever made about record stores? No, there's several, but I just could see these characters interacting in comedic and fun ways. For uh, sure. You know, can you imagine Barry and uh, Renee Zellweger's character from uh, mm. from Empire Records? Well, you and, could have the the two the I think it's Ethan Embry and um, whoever he's talking to at the end talking uh-huh. about Primus at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, dis- especially with those guys yeah. because those are the those are the nerds <laughs> that we're talking about. Yeah. yeah, they're both independent record stores. One's in Delaware. One's in Chicago. Uh, you could get some epic conversations with like uh, Anthony LaPaglia and and uh, John Cusack mm-hmm. is like you know tired of world weary store owners that are just you kind of sick of shit but you know are still in on the work. I mean they could have like a twenty minute diatribe between the two of them about like best albums of this subgenre or mm-hmm. something like that. And it'd be fun, man. They get into like wacky hijinks. They they start dating each other. Uh, they all know kind of a, a bunch about music. Uh, they both have shoplifting Shoplifters. prevention techniques. Do the math. How much is this deck worth? You know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Nice. I like yeah. it. Well, that'll do it for this week. Please keep going to Facebook and uh, the, the uh, Sincast presented by CinemaSins uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. um, Reddit, uh, SoundCloud. Uh, that's where we got all these questions. Feed us. Feed us uh, questions. We love it. And yeah, I mean, it uh, it leads to some pretty interesting conversations. I don't know if we're answering these questions to the absolute one hundred percent of their spirit, but it does it does lead to a pretty to awesome conversations. Fuck I yeah. do believe so. Um, but uh, anyway, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Reddit, and be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Let's all share the muck. Yeah. Welcome to the suck. (laughs) Yes. Mm. You know, there's no... I keep scouring because that's in the outtakes. Like, I want to write that into outtakes a lot. Like, Welcome to the Suck from uh, Jarhead. Ah. And I can't find on YouTube one clip of somebody saying, Welcome to the Suck. I know it exists. It's in the trailer. Is it? Yep. I have resorted to trailers for audio clips before. Uh, 
I have two. Definitely, I didn't, I didn't it's a hundred percent in the trailer. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Man, if he's watched Peter that trailer a million times, it's Peter Sarsgaard saying it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the suck. <laughs> it's right at the. It's right at the title. He's so good in that. Yeah. I fucking love. It. I wish Peter Sarsgaard got more roles. Which one is he? I can't tell my Sarsgaards from my Scarsgards anymore. <laughs> Sarsgaards the. He's the, the guy uh, in Green Lantern. Yeah, he's he's the ba- he's one of the bad guys in Green Lantern. And is he related to the guy in Goodwill Hunting? He is not. That's, That's still in Skarsgård. But he has a son who's an actor. Alexander Skarsgård. God damn it. See what I'm talking about? And he also has another brother who was in It. He was Pennywise the Clown. Oh, yeah. Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård. The Sarsgaards need to procreate more to keep up with the Sarsgaards. Until his grandfather, Dane Coolidge. <laughs> I have a feeling it's like, oh, well, I don't know where Skarsgård and Sarsgaard originate, but I have a feeling it's like the Hatfields and McCoys, like in whatever country they're like. You go back three centuries and these two families fucking hate each other. Mm-hmm. You have a K and we don't. It's like the Sneeches. Yeah. The Sneeches. that? Yeah, that Dr. Seuss book with the Sneetches, and some have stars upon theirs, and some don't. Haven't uh, we already done this? I feel like this is a deja vu right now. I don't know. I th- feel like I've brought those. I feel Sneetches like I've heard before. of this mm. recently. Like maybe you said something about it before. Hmm. Anyway, they're all the same, but some have stars on their bellies and some don't, so they hate each other and they develop this like hostility until they eventually realize, oh, we're all the same. And the guys without stars get stars, and the guys with stars, then they go. I don't remember the whole thing. I didn't fucking memorize it. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of old books because Christmas time, every every night we read a Christmas story, like me and Hudson and, and Candy. Yeah, that's lame. And I mean, cool. Yeah. Well, last night it was the Care Bears Christmas. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Your, your son has like nine, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's Christmas stuff, so he, he didn't he didn't mind. I You know, I always liked the Care Bears. Well, they're, they're pretty inoffensive. They're ve- I mean they're 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 happy for each other. They love each other. They they want to build a better society. And they have the word care in their name. Come on, how bad could it be? Do you remember the Care Bears movie? That was a good movie. Yeah, it was one of the early movies I went to. This is that the- was a good movie. They uh, they got together and to battle some sort of force of evil, they uh, they get get together and like Care Bear stare, and then like this <laughs> this beam of light shoots out of their bellies. And when it combines, it's like it's like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters. They that's awesome. Fuck shit up. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> of all of our detours, that's one of my favorite. It's a jarhead. Welcome to the suck. Got it. <laughs> Got it. I may have seen this. That's going to be uh, in all the outtakes now. I may have seen this a million tra- times, this trailer. Fucking love Like, I trailer. used to put it on the front of movies just so that when I started it, Welcome to it suck. would play that trailer. I thank God for every day I wake up in, in the, the core. Oorah. I can see a Kubrick. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Holy I can see clearly now. That is fucking awesome. It's actually a collector's edition. It is. Is this everything? Everything. Everything! This is fun. Yeah, it is. I, I like this I shit. I should have brought mm-hmm. your shit today. Yo, shit! Your shit hasn't arrived. Your shit did arrive. Oh, you got me some shit? Oh, yeah. Okay, be, be careful. At least, uh, I should say you're going to wish you were careful if you're not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Holy shit. It's <laughs> been signed from Malcolm McDowell, Patrick McGee, Michael Bates, Warren Clark, John Clive, Stanley Kubrick. Oh! Yeah. Oh. God damn. 
Nice. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Some badassness right there. Oh. Clockwork orange poster oh. signed by Kubrick and McDowell oh. and a host of other people. Oh my That's God. a beautiful poster. See, we wanted to do this while we were recording because I feel like the listeners will appreciate since they've heard you talk about Kubrick so much. By the way, that 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 poster you would never get away with today. Oh no! Oh, Make sure the acids in your fingers don't get into yeah, no it. Shit. No. I mean, gloves. <laughs> when uh, it's when uh, Bart and every Bart Milhouse and Martin all buy the comic book in The Simpsons, <laughs> they buy the number one radioactive man, and they're like like touching it with tweezers and shit, and then and they decide to camp out with it. If you flip it over and heat it slightly and put lemon juice on it. You can find the next clue <laughs> that will lead you to the, the Shriners, not the Shriners, oh, who are they? The Templar. The Knights ah, Templar. yes, the Templar. Knights Templar, yes. I had to take it out to verify that it was what it said it was, and getting it back was... Oh, that would at least like, you know, they give you a poster with Ronald McDonald on it or <laughs> I mean, some I, shit. The last thing I wanted was for Barrett to open and it's like Bad Boys 2 that poster so signed by awful. Martin Lawrence. <laughs> so awful. You know what, though? That might be okay. It's not Clockwork Orange. But <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't hold the sentimental value. That's right. I wouldn't turn down a Martin Lawrence Bad Boys 2 That's poster. right. I mean, I'd rather have Run Tell That, but Matt Bad Boys is okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Holy shit. Thank you, guys. Anyway, oh, so... You know we appreciate you. Um, maybe yeah, the listeners damn. don't quite realize it, but Barrett does a ton for us mm-hmm. and has basically become one of the big three here in terms of there's nothing that we do that he doesn't have his fingers in. Videos, podcast, uh, gangbangs. Right. Well, this podcast is is impossible. <laughs> impossible without Barrett. I agree. If 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 Jeremy and I decided to do a podcast without Barrett, you would get one every like six months. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's not lying. He's it would totally lying. be worth it though to wait for those six months. To... <laughs> I'm sure it would. <laughs> <laughs> like there, we'll be sitting there talking about shit that happened in January, and then it comes out in June. <laughs> like I have no idea how this is going to turn out. This is like old news. All right, emotion. so we're talking about Get Out today, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome it's also a cool package yeah, yeah it is. well and and also i had a i had a dvd kubrick collection back in the late 90s and it you know it didn't have eyes wide shut in it of course by that time and everything i think that includes eyes wide shut. it does it does um and you know it's 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 almost like when you go when you look at a kubrick collection it's almost like looking at a lord of the rings collection you start with yeah. with in this particular case you'd be like i'm gonna start with lolita uh-huh. and i'm gonna go to dr strange love and then i'm gonna you know you oh, just yeah. do it in order yeah it's gonna be sequential you know? um and and you start seeing the you know the madness yeah. take hold yeah you know as as it goes goes along and everything i've actually been wanting to watch clockwork orange again uh because I, I loved that movie, and I wonder how it's going to play with me like these days. Mm-hmm. Or uh, now that you have his autograph on that poster, is the movie going to play the same? I tell you, yeah, it's... I'm going to love it even more. <laughs> God, it's, uh... it's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's probably his best poster, too. Yeah, well, uh, I didn't have, like, 
a ton of options. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, it would have been Lolita it. if that had been all that I could find. Full um, Metal Jacket's got a decent poster. Eyes Wide Shut has an all right poster. Shining, Shining is Shining is really good. Um, 2001. What is the? It's just the the it's, the stars and the. They, I've seen several different things for 2001. Yeah. Doctor Strange Love is good. Lolita is good. Barry Lyndon. Mm. Barry Lyndon's got that weird lettering yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I think uh, Clockwork Orange is the most iconic of the posters. I would agree with that. Yeah. That's I mean, that's why awesome. we chose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You guys are awesome. Yay! He liked it. <sighs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Welcome to the Sincast. We're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> all right well the listeners can tell us if they find that to be offensive as though we were just surfing for compliments uh, (laughs) as as opposed to like a genuine thing we wanted to share with them um and they should understand barrett's love for stanley kubrick oh my god that's awesome next Uh, year i'm getting you a goat <laughs> I have gotten you a goat. You go into your, the back of your car and you're like leading it out. It's all wrapped and everything. I do. I mean, I don't like to praise commercials, but I, I do giggle at that. I think it might be Arby's or Taco Bell, but it's a commercial where like there's a a family with presents and one is obviously a dog, but when he unwraps it, it's just a plate of food. <laughs> and then there's something else that's like obviously a skateboard or whatever. When they unwrap it, it's just a plate of food. Oh, it's a KFC, right? KFC, yeah. I think. Yeah, anyway. There you go. I chugged a bottle of cough syrup before we came over, so that should be fun. Yeah, that's helpful. Chugged a bottle of it, huh? It, it's like a natural like honey and elderberries. That's called robo-tripping. <laughs> it stinks of elderberries. <laughs> your mother was a hamster, <laughs> and your father stank of elderberries. <laughs> you know, the kids like to drink a bottle of cough syrup and get high on it. You ever done that? No. Robo, robo-trip? That's what I did. No. What? Why? Have you? Yeah. Really? <laughs> 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 yes. Probably that dude we saw uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, who was like, Arr! that was the fucking craziest Arr! dude. <laughs> He's like had like a what did he have like headphones? It was like a, he had like an old time yeah cassette player uh-huh. that he was holding up near his ear like a cell phone. Only it's obviously like a cassette player from the nineteen eighties. <laughs> yeah, and he was just screaming. Yeah, and it felt like we were the only two people who thought that was weird. Yeah, like it felt like the rest of the city was just pretending it wasn't happening. Yeah, they they he was just walking down the like, like oh the yeah walking. He was standing on the corner. It's oh. just it's just radio screaming guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, maybe he's there every day. Yeah, but he wasn't even screaming words. It was just yeah. <laughs> I looked in the newspaper the next day to see if it was, you know, crazy man screams before I, stabbing someone. I texted Barrett about this after after we saw it, and we're like, so what's the issue here? And he simply writes back, drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I want the mail. <laughs> now I got to fucking do that. It's going to be, I want the mail. Yeah. <laughs> my voice is my passport. Verify me. <laughs>